Welcome to the 110th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on December 17th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? I am doing very well today, Brad. How are you? I am doing well. I'm really uh, jazzed and hyped to be recording with you. We just got through a really exciting banter section. I would agree with everything you just said. If you are listening to the show and you want to hear a couple of guys go absolutely apeshit over Into the Spider-Verse, go <laughs> and check out that banter section because we love that movie. We do also talk about some other things. Uh, today it was mostly TV and movie related, but we do talk about random stuff. Uh, so as always, um, we are going to talk about games up front. And if you don't want to hear our random bullshit, then please feel free to exit when you hear the closing music. But if you want some extra content that is not necessarily game related, please stay tuned after the closing music. Uh, but that's about it for uh, housekeeping and notes. Anything before we roll ahead, sir? Uh, for once in my life, I don't think I have any housekeeping notes. Same here. I say let's cut the fat and get straight to the games. Uh, you are up first today, sir. Games Chat, you have listed a game which I was confused by. I didn't know if you were telling me about a person. <laughs> was it a thing? What's going on? I'm confused. You're going to be talking about a game called Paul Paul. Paul as in P-A-U-L, like the name of a person. Paul, Paul, I, I've literally never heard of this game. Please tell us what it's about. Where do you find it? What is what is even going on? I suspected that you would not have heard of it. Um, because over the weekend, on Friday night specifically, uh, I was home alone, and I didn't have anything to do, and I was bored, and I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. And every once in a while when this happens... I jump on, well, I just like look at video games, really. And specifically, I went back to, every once in a while, I talk about the game store platform Itch, which is kind of like, you have Steam, then you have Itch. And like, I don't even want to get into it, but there's like a lot of stuff going on right now with like Epic Games opening their own game store and Discord opening their own game store. And like, I'm not getting into that. But I went to Itch because I remembered that the last time I went there, um, I had looked through their VR section and had found a bunch of VR games that, you know, were, like, small and experimental and stuff like that. And most of them are free, which, of course, you know, I'm always up for a free game. And I am going to double dip my ass off this week because not only am I going to cross a little, put a little check mark next to the bringing a VR game to every show that I oh, shit. act oh, shit. like I don't need to do, but I am. I'm going to put a checkbox or a check next to that. I'm also going to check off a lovable indie jank game. And I don't think I've talked about indie jank in a while, but this is a genre that I refer to. Uh, I don't even like know how to classify this. It's basically like a game that you can tell was probably developed by like one person, but and like it's not like technically, like obviously we're not talking about like God of War caliber like detail and like you know, physics and all in art design and animation, and all this stuff. It's like very like low res, very low, like, I mean, I'm not going to say like low effort or anything. Cause I have no doubt that even like these games take a, a shitload of work to make, but it's just like a couple people that make them usually, but they're like, maybe like not 
super well produced, but they're like interesting because they feel different than a lot of the stuff I play, and they feel kind of like artsy, for lack of a better word. So this is what I want to talk about first. I downloaded a bunch of indie games, indie VR games on itch the itch store. And Paul Paul is what I want to talk about first. And I have to admit, there's a bit of an error whenever I sent this game to you, Brad, or sent you the the script notes. Um, it's not Paul Space Paul. It's just Paul Paul, and it's one word. So my oh, bad, okay. which okay. makes it even more confusing. Um, so this is a VR, a first-person, obviously it's a first, well, no, there's third-person VR games. I just think of them as first-person because most of the time they are. Um, first-person VR game, kind of a walking sim narrative adventure game. It's on Steam also, and it's free on both platforms. I didn't know it was on Steam at the time. Um, it is Act 1 of other games that are going to come out that aren't out yet. So I don't really know what's going on with the development, but it's developed by a company called Another Circus. And... You play as... I really just bought this or didn't buy it. I downloaded it because it was free. I downloaded it because, like, the screenshots looked really interesting. There was, like, one screenshot on the itch store of, like, these kind of, like, these silhouettes of dudes that look like they're wearing business suits, but their heads were, like, sort of, like, I don't know, like, nebulous explosion-looking things. I don't really know how to explain <laughs> it. It looks, like, up my alley for all the weirdest reasons is basically what's going on here. But you play as a guy who seems to be working for some sort of like space exploration technology company thing maybe like nasa if it were privately owned or something and this is a really short game i want to make that clear too so i can't really say a whole lot about it um because it's only like 15 minutes long like we're talking like oh jesus that is yeah. oh my god yeah oh, wow i mean you'd think when i say short game i might mean like an hour but no this is like a it's like 15 or 20 minutes like depending on how much exploring you do and there's no real, like, urgency in it either. And it only takes place over a handful of scenes. So, like, the first scene, you're in your apartment. And you're just, like, standing there. And there's, like, a TV in front of you on the shelf by the window. And it's a pretty cool, like, contemporary apartment. Like, very kind of futuristic. And there's, like, um, there's like a this cool, like, newspaper. But it's, like, a holographic, you know, like, LCD screen newspaper, like, on the shelf behind you. Um, most of the stuff in the game is not super colorful. Like, it's very, like, grayscale, which I think is cool because it's a cool, like, stylistic choice. Um, there's, like, an alarm clock over on the other side of the room. And you, like, walk around the environment or teleport around the environment and you, like, touch things. And whenever you touch things, like, the game it makes kind of, like, a weird noise where you can tell that, like, maybe you're dreaming. Maybe this is some kind of weird nightmare. But it's not scary. It's just, like, kind of unsettling a tiny bit. And you end up going out the front door of the apartment and then it teleports you into this, like, um, I don't know, I guess, like, a lab, if you will. And, like, you do some stuff in the lab. I don't really want to, like, dive into it because I don't want to give a lot of it away. But the thing that I thought was really um, – the, the most fascinating scene in the game to me is you end up, for reasons I don't even really know, so I can't even really disclose, you end up in, like, a space station – doing like i guess you're like an astronaut doing like a space exploration thing and they like pull you out of your kind of like cryostasis chamber thing and it's just you on the station there's nobody else here and when you step out and keep in mind this is in vr and when you step out onto like the ledge of like the little platform that you're on that you come out of the cryostasis thing there's like a giant window it reminds me a tiny bit of tacoma because you know you're in space and there's like a giant window and you can see, I don't know if it's like Mars, but it's like a big red planet out there. And it just looks really grand and really incredible. But it's kind of hard to tell how you're supposed to get around the environment because it looks like you have to like jump off this ledge. And it turns out that 
the environment you're in, the space station is basically like a cube. And instead of it being a flat floor plan, floor plan because, um, you know, that's sort of how we think of places, like in, in stories, if you will, um, like a house, um, every, every surface, like all four surfaces of the cube, um, you know, the two of them are windows, so the other four are actually the rooms, and it's kind of like one giant open room. So, like, if you, you're, like, standing there, and if you look straight up, the bedroom is, like, directly above you, and you can, like, point the teleporter up there, and it, like, teleports you up there. And then, like, if you look left and right at the wall, so left and right of you, one is, like, an office, and one is a kitchen, and, like, one has the little cryopod thing. So you end up, like, I mean, I guess this is how you would move in space. I didn't really think about this because I've never played a VR game in space before. But you, like, end up teleporting, like, up and down like to the ceiling and then to the floor and then to the wall and then to the other wall in order to get where you need to go. And there's like in the kitchen area, there's like cups on the counter and you can pick up the cup and it's just like space. You like throw it in the air and it like delicately sort of floats and like bounces off things. And this is like a really stupid, um, I guess like revelation, but I had never played anything quite like this in VR. And so whenever like, I finally understood, like, the lay of the land on the space station. It really, like, made a lot of sense to me, um, even if it didn't initially. But it felt really cool just, like, being in that space in a VR atmosphere. And you're also not floating. Like, the astronaut is physically not floating in space because I think that would probably make me throw up. So they were smart enough to, like, not make that a thing. He must be wearing some kind of, like, fancy boots or something. Um, but the game is short. Um I don't really, like, know uh, all about what's going on in it. So it's kind of one of those weird games like North or, like... I mean, there's probably, like, a dozen games that I've talked about so far that fall into this weird category of really, like, ambiguous sort of narrative adventures that I don't really know what's going on. But, like, the art design and, like, the pace and the mystery is enough to keep me interested. Um, and at the end of it, there's a part where it kind of, like, leads you to believe that you need to, like, go to the Twitter account for the development company, which is called Another Circus again. And I was like, ooh, I bet I'm going to, like, log onto their Twitter and then it'll, like, give me a clue on how to, like, get somewhere else in the game or something like that or, like, unlock some kind of secret. And sadly, I don't think that's actually the case. Um, I looked at their Twitter account and did not see any, like, clues on how to get anywhere. So it must be, like, a pretty, like, streamlined narrative adventure and they must be just trying to, like, market themselves in the game, which, I mean, isn't the worst idea because I went there and I looked at them and looked at some of their stuff. I'm interested to see what comes out in the next acts that they publish. Um, I don't really know what else to say about this game. I don't think there's a flat version. I think it's VR only. It is free. So like if you have a PC and you have VR and you don't want to spend money on a game, it's free. It's short. It's really interesting. It's weird. Um, I don't really know what else to say other than I enjoyed it. And maybe I'm trying to like use our platform with our millions of listeners to shed a light onto this tiny little development company, but I like this game. It's called Paul Paul. It's weird. It's right up my alley in a weird indie way. And I just like everything it's doing, even if it's only like 15 minutes long. So a couple of things. First off, why is it called Paul Paul? Did they ever explain that? <laughs> I think the main character's name is Paul. And right when you teleport into the game, it's whenever he like wakes up in his apartment, he, you can like hear like somebody saying his name and it kind of like wakes him up in a way. And that's, like, the first thing. So I think it's his name. I don't know if his name is actually, like, Paul Paul, like, first and last name. Probably not. Um, it's probably just, like, an artsy, I don't know, take on his name. But every once in a while, you hear someone saying his name, and it sort of, like, breaks you out of a trance in a way. But it's, like, not clear 
who is saying it. So that kind of makes it weird too, but that is what I gather from playing it. Interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, not to be like that guy, uh, but I guess I am that guy. I mean, this, you I mean, are. this sounds fine enough. And I mean, what you're describing about the movement sounds kind of cool, but this sounds just like one of a thousand tech demo VR games where it's just like super short and they do one cool thing and there's not really a lot to it. And it's just, Hey VR. I mean, is that pretty much what this is? Cause that's exactly what it sounds like. Well, I think to me, and I'm not trying to defend this game because if this felt like tech demo bullshit, I would be the first one to come on the show and be like, yeah, it feels like tech demo bullshit. This doesn't actually feel like tech demo bullshit to me because it feels like something like, even if I didn't discover this in VR and I played it on a flat screen, like it would be something I would still be into because it just feels weird and it feels different. Like in a way that North felt to me where like, you don't like totally know what's going on. You're just kind of exploring the environment and you know, there's kind of like weird figures that are kind of human-like, but not entirely human-like. And it's just like dangling that carrot in this weird, like absurd sci-fi universe enough to keep me interested. Because like most of the time with, if a game feels like a tech demo VR game, it just has like, one really stupid hook like it'll be like oh you shoot a gun at these targets or you're throwing knives and like there's really nothing more to the game other than just like the mechanic itself but in this game it's like there's an actual like kind of like weird narrative thread that you're following that's sort of like ambiguous and it feels like it's built like story focus and that it's not it wasn't somebody coming up with a fun vr idea and then you know making a one room game around it so it doesn't feel like a tech demo but it is short enough you know to maybe give that impression but it i don't know i i really just want to know what they're going to do in the future because i don't know if they're going to do like three or four acts or if the second act is going to be like you know an hour long instead of like 20 minutes long or something i'm not because it hasn't really set up like a really solid like core narrative you know it doesn't give you like a backstory on this character it just kind of like puts you through these scenes kind of like virginia in a way it just kind of like fast forwards you through these scenes and lets you experience them in a weird way and then just kind of like takes you to the next one whenever you're ready to go um but it doesn't like really hammer home any narrative threads and i am okay with that because the game is weird enough for me to just appreciate it on that level like it doesn't have to give me like you know a novel of story um but it doesn't feel like a tech demo to me okay fair enough fair enough all right, this was Paul Paul, all one word, and this is available. You got it on the Itch store, is that correct? Yeah, it's on Itch, and it's on Steam. I didn't realize it was on Steam at the time when I got it on Itch, but it's free on both, so you can get it either or, and it will not cost you a dime. All right, cool, cool, cool. Let's move on. Um, so I was originally going to be talking about how much I really hate Smash Brothers uh, Ultimate. Uh, but oh, have you been playing it? I mean, sort of. I I mean, not to make too much of a, a digression here, but, you know, I kind of got caught up in the hype. I haven't played Smash since the first one, which was, I think, like 18 years ago or something like that uh, in that ballpark. So it's not I have not been keeping up with the scene, but of course I've known about it and, you know, got the switch. Uh, my son said he was kind of interested in playing it. Everybody on Earth was talking about it and I hadn't played it in such a long time. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'll dip back in and. You know, maybe maybe my thoughts on it have changed. Maybe it's cool. Maybe, you know, it looks real fun. I don't know. We'll check it out. Yeah, no, I hate that. I fucking hate that game, dude. Hate. I hate Smash uh... Brothers. I think it's... I have I, a long rant. I'm not going to go off on it now. I have a number of really serious criticisms that I think um, nobody is ever bringing up because most of the people who play this and talk about it 
are fans who have been playing this game for years, and so they don't have the perspective of someone who is coming to it fresh. Um, so I think that if you are a new person coming to it, I mean, and, and for me, I haven't played it like for like 18 years. I'm basically a newcomer coming to this game. Like I have, I've not been steeped in the Smash culture this whole time. And when you come to this game with a fresh pair of eyes, there is a lot of stuff wrong with this game. A lot of stuff that is done just because that's the way it's always been done, because that's the way fans think it should be done, because they don't want to change too much. But if you're coming to it fresh, serious, serious problems with that game. Um, but we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. I don't want to derail too much. Uh, we'll bring it up at some point. Uh, but what I did want to talk about was I wanted to circle back on Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden for just a minute, because this is another one of those examples uh, that we recently had where it starts off really good, and I talk about the game before I finish it, and then we record this segment where I'm all positive and, and up on it, and then as the week goes by and I play it some more, I'm like, oh, actually, no, this game is bad. So I didn't want to leave my last <laughs> last segment with people thinking I love this game, because I would feel really bad if people went out and bought it because of what I said on the last episode. And then they were like, oh, fuck Brad. Like, he totally didn't know what was wrong with this game. And he made me waste my money on this thing. And I'm pissed. I'm never going to listen to so video games again. Fuck those guys. Like, I don't want to have that happen. So I, I'm going to use this segment instead to circle back on Mutant Year Zero. So I talked about it last week. This is the game put out by a group of people who were formerly of IO, IO Interactive. Former Hitman developers got together to make a new studio. This is a turn-based strategy, which is based upon the Mutant Year Zero board game, which I was not familiar with, but that's a thing. So they're taking that IP and making a video game out of it. You have a group of mutants who are like, uh, there's a pig man, there's a duck man, there is uh, a fox lady, and there's a couple of uh, more human characters. They all have these little powers. Turn-based tactics, very similar to X XCOM in a way. Uh, of course, it's different, but, you know, just think about XCOM in general, and that can give you a pretty good basis of what you're looking at. And at the time that I talked about it, I really liked it. I mean, this game's main hook is that they implement stealth into turn-based tactics in a way that I'm not really aware of many other games doing. Um, I think that uh, there's, a, there's a couple games that probably do it. Uh, what is the name, Corey? I, my memory is failing me. What is the name of the Samurai turn-based tactics game was when I was flipping out over a couple years ago. I was uh, thinking about this because I was going to bring it up and I can't remember the name of it either. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm forgetting what it's called because that game is fucking amazing and so awesome <laughs> and I love it. It's like Samurai no, no, no. Is it Shogun something? Blade Shogun, of the Shogun? Blade, Blade of the Shogun? Is that it? <laughs> maybe. Do it. Do a quick Google real quick while I'm talking here and maybe you can right, help me right. out with this. Um, so, so there's a couple turn-based tactics games which do implement stealth, but this one implements it in a different way because when you are not in combat, it is real, real time. You're just walking around in an environment, exploring things. And then when you come across an enemy, you can int, uh, start the the tactics section. And so it, it just kind of transitions into turn-based all of a sudden. It's a pretty interesting, neat thing, which I really like. Um, so I liked it a lot. Like the pace of it. I like the post-apocalyptic setting. I like the mutants. I thought the writing was really good. I was basically just up, up, up on this game. Really liked it a lot. So after we recorded, I kept playing and I got about halfway through the game and then I realized, oh no, this game is actually running out of steam. So what happened was I got to a point where I had kind of maxed out the skill trees of my characters and I realized like how little skills there actually were because even though there's like, I don't know, maybe like eight or 10 skills per person, 
you can only ever have three active at a time, which kind of really limits the stuff that you can do in a battle. You can also never have more than three characters at a time. Even though you eventually get five, you can only ever have three, which again leads uh, leads to a lot of limits because you can't do a lot of more advanced tactics. You can't, you know, encircle people around the map. I mean, there's there's only so much you can do with three people. But worse than that is that I just kind of got to a point at which I was doing the same kind of mission, which is where you're sneaking through a place, you will eventually get to a part where you have to fight, and then you fight. Like, that is basically what every single mission in this game is, which is kind of a bummer, because uh, that's not enough uh, variety in mission types. But I was also doing the exact same thing every single time. So what I would do is I would want to be stealthy, because that's what this game is kind of about. You would come up on somebody who was not paying attention, you would start the tactics, and then I would do the exact same actions with the exact same characters in the exact same turn, like literally every time. And at first I was hoping that, you know, things would open up, I'd get new powers, get new characters, which all was true, but like, it doesn't matter because there's really kind of only one way to play this game successfully. So I would like, I would come across a map, I'd find a guy, I would stealth shoot him with a duck, and then my pig guy would shoulder charge him and knock him down. And then my third person, whoever that was, would run up and shoot them when they were uh, on the ground. And then in the next turn, all three people would shoot them again. And so I did that multiple times per mission for everybody that we found who was um, able to be stealth killed. And then repeated that multiple times with every map for the rest of the game. So <laughs> it got really, 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 really fucking boring because I was just doing the exact same thing the exact same way every single time and then eventually i would come up across a battle where the developers wanted just to fuck with you and so they would set you up with a situation where you just had to power your way through it and there was no way to do it just to brute force so i just was really thinking it was a shame because it seems fine in the beginning and for the first eight or ten hours like it's all good because you're still learning the systems you're still unlocking stuff you're still figuring out how the game works but once it hits the midpoint i mean it's just repetition from then on and it's just not interesting it's not fun. It loses a lot of steam. And it's a shame because I really wanted to finish this game. I like the characters a lot. I think the mutants are fun. They're fun people to hang out with. I like their dialogue is really fun. The world is really cool. They did a really good job with the post-apocalyptic world. Very interesting. Uh, very lush looking. Uh, kind of nature reclaiming the uh, environment. It's all good in that respect. They just really did not go deep enough on the tactics. I mean, just you can't offer that few... Uh, options in a tactics game you got to have more to do because that's really what the game is about and if you only have really one successful way to play the game that's not really a tactics game it's just you kind of pushing the same button over and over and over and over and over um so i got what i thought was really close to the end i was like i'm just going to just be patient i'm just going to push through it i'm going to force myself to play this just finish it i'm almost at the end i got almost to the end and that wasn't the end. And I'm like, fuck, okay, well, okay, just two more levels. <laughs> That's going to be the end. I really don't want to play this anymore because I'm really getting bored. But I'm almost to the end. Okay, two more levels. I can do this. That's fine. I push through two more levels. Ah, oh, fuck, there's two more levels. God damn it. And I just, I started getting really sloppy. Like, I stopped caring about what I was doing. I was burning too many resources because I just didn't give a shit. I stopped paying attention. I stopped playing careful because I just didn't care. I didn't want to play anymore. And I'm like, I got to get out of this because... Life is too short, man. Life is too short to play games that you don't like. And I found myself sinking into that trap of like, well, I've played this far. I might as well finish because I've already got this far. But that's bullshit. Like the sunk cost fallacy is bullshit. It's it's we're not infinite beings. 
we can't spend all of our, our lifespans on games that we don't enjoy. And I had, I had stopped enjoying this game like hours beforehand. So I just, I had to put it down. I feel bad because I want to know how the story turned out. I feel bad because I like the characters. I feel bad because I want to support these devs because I think they're generally on the right path. I think they are, they got good ideas. They're doing the right thing. They just didn't go far enough and deep enough. Um, and they, they just didn't get this game to a place where it was ready for prime time. Um, so I can't recommend it. I really can't recommend it. I really can't, even though I want to. And even though I really started liking it in the beginning, first eight hours are great, but I got to say as a tactics game, it fails pretty hard. And I really wish these guys had, um, just done more, like let you have more skills on your character because then you could have at least more options during each battle. Uh, or at least let you have the other two characters so then you can kind of get through the battles faster or you could, you know, set up little more ambushes or you could do things with your characters. But it's so limited and so small that it just, it really runs out of steam pretty hard. And it's just a very disappointing way to end such a promising game. So I wanted to circle back, let people know, please don't be fooled by the good start this game gets off to. I do not recommend it. And I think it's a sequel. A sequel should be great if they improve on what they've done here. But as, as of right now, mutant year zero, I got to say is, is a pass. Okay. So I have, I have a few things to say. First of yes. all, shadow tactics, blades of the Shogun. I Thank was, you. That game's fucking amazing. Yeah. I thought of the subtitle, but not of the actual shadow tactics. No, there you go. Yeah. Thank tactics. you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. First of all, um, if they make a sequel to this, is it going to be called mutant year one? And I second mean, of all, <laughs> um, this sounds spoiler alert for anybody who's planning to listen to the next episode. I had this exact same experience with a game that we are going to talk about at length in the next episode. So just get ready for that, which I will not say what the game is and I will not spoil it here, but I, I very recently have gone through that (laughs) basically exact same mindset where a game started out really good. And I was like, all right, this is cool. This is going places. And then it just went on for too long, and then I stopped caring, and then I got sloppy. And I actually did finish the game that I was playing, but very begrudgingly finished it. So um, look out for the discussion about Unidentified Game X on the next episode. Um, But uh, I'm glad that you decided to stop playing this, because I totally understand, like, it, it does suck whenever you know you're, like, somewhere between, like, the 70 to 90% done area of a game. And it's so easy to be like, well, I've come this far. I ought to finish it. I mean, it would be like watching a movie for like, like a two hour movie for an hour and 40 minutes and being like, well, you know, I might as well. Um, But yeah, whenever games have really un, um, like really unidentified pacing and you don't really know. And I feel like this happens a lot in games where like, it's, it's often really hard to tell how far you've come and how much farther you have to go. Um, that's why I like when games identify like all of the threats at the beginning. This is why I like whenever I compare, like I, I'm going to come back to this a million times, whenever I compare like Deus Ex Human Revolution to Deus Ex Mankind Divided because Deus Ex Human Revolution has a very strong start. By the end of the first like hour, you know what the objective is, it's to rescue Megan. You know who the bad guys are because they're all present. So you have a general idea of pacing of as you get through each boss, how far along you are in the game. Uh, But in like Mankind Divided, the game starts and you like kind of don't really know what the objective is. You don't really know who the bad guy is. And once you meet the bad guy, like hours into the game, 
he doesn't really identify as the main bad guy. So by the time you get to the fight with him, you think, oh, maybe I'm halfway through the game. And then boom, it's actually the end of the game. So like games that don't like identify their pace well are really annoying. And especially whenever you're not enjoying them and you think, well, I've come this far, so I might as well finish them now. And then you just get stuck in the cycle of playing mission after mission after mission, thinking, like, for fuck's sake, this has got to be the last one, and then it's not, and then you just give up and open your nearest window and throw your disc out the window like a Frisbee, and then it's all over with. You raise a really good point, sir. I actually am really glad you said that, because I 100% agree with you, and I'm not sure that I have ever really crystallized that thought in the way that you've just put it, but I think that you've really hit on something that's very true and correct, because I, I do absolutely agree that like the game communicating to you like like telling you what the deal is so that you can have like a more informed choice about whether do i want to continue what is my goal what am i doing i think having that kind of communication is really key and now that you said it that way i'm like yeah absolutely right like i think a lot of the games that i like are very upfront about hey there's 10 missions to this game and so that's what's up and if you get to mission three and you don't like it well then you know you still got seven more so bail now but if you you know but if you think you've only got five missions to get through well maybe you're going to stick it out and then there's five more you don't want five more you know (laughs) i think that's very true and i think that's really a good um design choice that maybe more developers should be on board with because i've had many experiences where i start a game it starts okay i start to get tired but then like just like you said you're not sure how much more you got to go and you know if you got to if you're going to put the time in, yeah, go ahead and finish it off. You know, like I hate to leave stuff unfinished, but if you think you've only got two more levels, you'll, you'll power through. But if you know, you've got 22 more levels, you're going to bail the fuck out. So it's like, <laughs> I, I 100%, I'm glad you said it that way because I think that is a very important part of the gamer slash game developer, like unspoken contract that maybe we should, maybe we should dig into this at some point in a future show and just kind of talk about <laughs> expectations because I think that's very true. I think it, I think the developers kind of have a responsibility to kind of let you know what you're in for or to at least give you the choice of like, I mean, because like you're literally spending your lifespan, the time that you are literally alive on this planet, you are spending on this game like they're taking your actual life. And so like they got to at least tell you how much they want from you before you get in balls deep on this thing, dude. I 100 percent agree. So I, oh, I'm glad God. you said that. I absolutely that is we gotta we gotta keep a list of like we're gonna do a show on the the unspoken contract of gaming that sounds like a fantastic topic to me i gotta i gotta figure this out i'm gonna jot oh this down. this is okay. a, a can of worms and a half right here oh yeah you've got yourself yeah you're, you're committed to a bunch of episodes now boy we're gonna be doing oh some deep gosh. dive on game design watch out so yeah. all right that's all i have to say on mutant year zero road to eden um yeah i don't recommend it unfortunately but boy i am really pulling for these developers i wish them nothing but the best i really hope they continue with what they're doing and i would be very interested in checking out an improved sequel so there we go Corey. you were talking about our next game lifeline whiteout now i don't know what this game is but i am familiar with possibly i mean lifeline was a game that came out on ios that was where it was kind of like a somebody was talking to you with your phone and you had to check back every few minutes and it was almost like they were asking you for advice in kind of real time sort of a thing. Is this a continuation of that game or is this something totally different? The, it is a like an offshoot, if you will, because I don't I, I was familiar with Lifeline before I started playing or before I started this, but I wasn't sure. I don't know, like, the lineage of Lifeline games, if they're all, like, sequels to each other or if it's all just, like, kind of like Silent Hill where it's, like, different people, similar scenario. But this is in that family of games. 
Okay, cool. So I, I kind of really quickly, you know, gave you a nutshell, but why don't you tell us a little bit more specifically about what this is, where you're playing it and what is the deal? Well, um, Brad, you and I have talked about this briefly, but, uh, for people who have not listened to the banter, which I'm guessing everybody who's listening to the show right now has not listened to the banter because it's at the end of the show. Um, I recently have found myself in the, um, company. Uh, I don't know what the word I want to use is in the possession. That's the word I want to use. Recently found myself in the possession of a series one Apple watch for, you know, a wearable tech watch that pairs with an Apple iPhone. And so I was thinking to myself in the spirit of experimentation and in the spirit of video games and in the spirit of stepping out of my comfort zone to try things I don't normally try, let me see if there are any games available on the Apple Watch. And as it turns out, there are. I don't think there are a lot, but there are. And the Lifeline series has made, I'm not going to say made the jump to Apple Watch, but it has made like, like there's a version that you can play either on your phone or your watch at the same time. And so me, with all my pretentiousness and my now owning an Apple Watch, and I want to be clear, listen to the banter, because I tell the story about how I came upon owning an Apple Watch. I swear I didn't murder someone and take it off his wrist. Um, <laughs> I didn't do any of that. I didn't steal one. I didn't, you know, pull off a heist in a Best Buy and steal one. Um, but uh, I have one. And so I thought I would download, I would try to download a game on the uh, on for uh, iOS for an Apple Watch and see what it does and see how it, how it works, I guess. So I kind of settled on Lifeline because I was kind of familiar with it. Um, like you had been talking about just now, I have never played a Lifeline before, but the gist of a Lifeline game is basically, I mean, it's sort of like a text adventure where like you open your phone and someone is sort of like in a dire situation. Maybe they're like stuck on a space station or they're stuck in some like alien colony. I don't really know any of the concrete storylines for any of them because I haven't played any of them. Um, but generally, it's like a person in crisis. They, their only line of communication is to you. They send you these like text messages over the game. And then every once in a while, they come up to a binary choice. And you basically help them decide like, oh, do you want to go down the hallway? Or do you want to go up the stairs? And you like help them decide. Um, that's sort of the gist. But kind of the cool thing about it being on a mobile phone is that like if you have notifications on, the character will literally like text, not like literally text message you, but like the notifications will come up very similarly to how text messages do. And then you can just open the text message, open the app, and you'll see where they are and see what they're talking about and see what they're doing. And they generally send you like a handful of texts at a time, you know, saying like, oh, well, I went down this hallway and I saw that. I went down this hallway. I saw this computer panel. And then, oh, which button should I press? The red one or the, you know, yellow one or whatever. And then you you help them decide. Um, the watch version is very similar. So the the story behind Lifeline Whiteout, which is, I think there's a few on the watch, but I chose this one because I think it had better reviews or something um, than some of the other ones that are that are compatible with the Apple Watch, is you play, or you don't play as anybody, you play as someone staring at their watch, um, and the person who is contacting you sort of like wakes up in like this kind of like snowy tundra area. I think they were part of like a like a crash, like a car crash or something, and they don't really know where they are. They think maybe they're in Alaska. They think they could also be in like Siberia, but they wake up, they're in this crash. They don't have a whole lot of like snowy armor on. They basically just have this like lab tech suit on. Um, they're trying to get out, trying to figure out uh, who they can 
communicate to through some like radio and it ends up being you and you can play it the the version that they have on watch you can play it on your phone or you can play it on your watch and the cool thing is like if you turn notifications on it'll just like pop up on your watch and so i was thinking like oh i'll try this you know i'll be sitting at my computer at work or something that i can just like if i feel the alert go off on my wrist i can just like look at it kind of scroll through a few of his messages and then like press the button to decide on what i want him to do because it's uh you know what the watches are touchscreen so this um, experiment was all well and good until I discovered that um, I, I don't know if this is my fault. I don't know if this is the game's fault. I don't know if because I have the oldest version of an Apple Watch, um, if it's that fault. Um, the, the version that I have, Lifeline Whiteout, and the Apple Watch that I have, which is a Series 1 42mm, they don't really work that well together. Like The whole thing is supposed to be like the notifications pop up on your watch, you're supposed to scroll through them. You're supposed to tap on whatever thing you want them to do. And then, like, the guy will either respond immediately or sometimes it'll be a few minutes if he's doing something. And I could not get the notifications to pop up on my watch. And I don't know why because I went into the game on my phone. I turned the notifications on. I went to the Apple Watch app on my phone. I found the game and the list of notifications on there. And I turned the notifications on. So, like, if I open the app on my watch, I could find usually the the newest responses on there and scroll through them if I wanted, but it would rarely actually pop up on my watch. And the whole point of an Apple Watch or a wearable watch or, you know, whatever brand of phone you have is that basically instead of all the notifications uh, pushing to your phone, they push to your watch instead or to your wearable, whatever tech you have. So, like, basically the game doesn't work. Like, par partially. It doesn't really work on, on the watch. Like, I have to go in and look at it unless I'm just missing some crazy, uh, I don't know, setting that I don't realize I'm missing. But I am here to report that at least it works on the phone. So I kind of played it a little bit on the phone. I played it a little bit on the watch. And, I mean, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. You're guiding the person through all these scenarios. Um, I... I mean, it's kind of like you don't really know what to say. So I'm just, like, taking my best guess. Like, he's like, oh, there's a – I saw a helicopter crash over here, but also there's a structure a few miles away. Like, which one should I go to? And I'm like, we'll go to the structure. And then he's like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of dangerous. Maybe the helicopter crash is closer. Maybe I should go to that. And I'm like, well, fine. If you're going to argue me, then go to the fucking helicopter crash. Like, <laughs> like don't, don't ask me what to do. Then argue with me, dude. So, but he only does that sometimes. And then, like, he'll get to the helicopter crash. And, like, he got to... And, I like, this is going to be, like, a mild spoiler. But, like, the game can end in, like, a million different ways. So I don't really think this is that big of a spoiler. But if you're worried about being spoiled on Lifeline Whiteout, of all things, maybe, like, fast forward the show, I don't know, a minute or two. Um, but I was, like, checking my phone last night because it's kind of fun, like, when you think, like, oh, I wonder what he's up to. And you just, like, open the app on your phone if you're, like, microwaving dinner. You know, it's just, like, a really, like, short commitment. And that's something I like about it, too, is, like, usually it takes about one minute to make, like, a couple of choices. And then he'll be busy. And then he'll, like, text message you five minutes later. And then you can either jump in immediately or not jump in because there's no time commitment. It's not like if you take too long, he dies or something. But, like, last night, I, like, opened my phone, and he was, like, he had sent me all these messages, and he's, like, talking about how, like, the fire burned out, and he was using it to keep warm, and, like, he was getting numb and, like, couldn't feel his legs, and then he died, and I was, like, what the fuck, man? Like, I thought I was getting somewhere with this guy, like, getting him to the helicopter, getting him into, like, the warm fire, and then he, like, ended up dying or something, and so... Once he dies, you can, like, rewind the game in a way. Like, it gives you the option to kind of go back through different scenes. 
And I selected the option to start all the way over, and I haven't officially started all the way over, but... Um, I mean, this is kind of a cool game. Like, I'd never really played anything like this before. I mean, at least, like, not on my phone. And, um, I mean, I'm sad to say that, like, kind of the whole reason I bought it was to try the watch integration because I thought that would be just, like, a fun thing to experiment with. And like I said, if I open the app on my watch, it worked most of the time. But it, the notifications rarely pushed to my watch, which is, like, the whole point of it. So like in one regard, you could say that maybe the game is broken or maybe I didn't have it set up right or something. Um, but I mean, at least it worked perfectly fine on my phone. So like all was not lost. I mean, I do plan on starting the game over and just kind of like trying to direct him to go somewhere else or direct him down different paths that I didn't do the first time. Um, but yeah, in the spirit of trying new things, I tried an iPhone watch game and yeah, maybe it didn't really work that well, but the game I played was still kind of interesting and I will try more watch games in the future and maybe report back and see, uh, I don't know just what I think. I guess now I'm bringing VR to the show and now I'm bringing Apple watch games to the show. Like, could I get any more pretentious here? Jesus. Fringe gamer Corey Motley, oh, he's fuck. going way far out. <laughs> oh my god. You're going to have to find a new host before long, because my head is going to get so big, I'm just going to float into the atmosphere and never come back down. Oh my god, oh my god. Well, you know, it's interesting that you played this, because I remember when the first Lifeline came out, and actually, a um, little uh, tidbit of information, good friend of the show, Carlos Rodella, actually worked on the PR team for Lifeline back in the day. I knew so. that. I did Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. He did. So... Um, yeah, I played the first Lifeline when that was kind of a new idea, and it was for Apple Watch. Like, I think it came out the exact same time the first Apple Watch came out. Uh, so there was functionality there from the start, but I played it on the iPhone, and it was basically the same thing. It was about, um, you know, you're stranded on an alien planet, your iPhone is getting messages through the magic of out of video games or something, and so, <laughs> you know... They would send you the messages, you'd have to respond back to them, and so forth and so on. It's a cool thing. Like, I think it's cool to do it once. But after Lifeline came out, it got really, really popular for good reason, because I think it was a cool experience. Uh, but, like, a bunch more sequels came out. There was a lot of wannabes, and a lot of other games followed in that example. And I have to say, I am just 100% not on board <laughs> with a game that demands me to get back to it in real time. I just, I have a life. I have things to do. I, you know, I have kids. I have a job. I have responsibilities day and night. Like, I don't need someone. I don't need a fucking video game putting demands on me. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I I stopped playing all of them after the first one. I think they're cool. I recommend everybody do them once, but after that I'm like I'm done. And anytime some game says there's a real-time element where like like the clock keeps going even when you're away from the game, I'm like I'm out cuz I just don't need that stress in my life. But sounds okay. Sorry your sorry your your pal died. Um one of the neat things about these games and you can tell me if this is true or not is they generally write the protagonist with a um gender neutral name so that it's kind of up to you to decide whether the person is a male or a female or something in between. Is that also true here? Um, I think that's true. And I thought about that a minute ago cause I kept calling him a man. So I guess in my like sexist brain, of course I was assuming this was a guy cause a woman would be too smart to be, uh, I don't know, caught out in the snow, you know, with no gear on, um, or something like that. But I'm pretty sure it's like an initial and a last name. So it really could be anything. Wow, check those preconceived notions. Ouch. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm just as guilty because when I played the first Lifeline, I think the person's name was like Alex, and I think I went through like 75% of the game thinking it was a guy until I realized, wait a minute, they actually didn't say whether it was a guy or a girl, and I realized I had been assuming, so I was just as guilty of it too. But I think that is one kind of neat thing about that series. It seems like they are always 
intentionally writing it so that you just either don't know or it's not important to the story or you kind of just in your own head decide. Um, kind of a neat, neat factor. So I guess if you want to think about that character, whatever way you want to think about him, it's possible. So that's cool. Uh, all right. Sounds good. Hopefully you'll have better luck on your next run. Um, and uh, let us know how that turns out. I will do that. All right. Cool. 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 We have two more games to cover. I'm going to cover uh, something that just came out recently called Below. This comes from Cappy Games. I'm a big <laughs> it sounded fan like of you Cappy said Games. Below, like cocaine. Below. We're talking about cocaine. <laughs> I just did a giant pile of the white stuff, and I am flying high right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Below. B-E-L-O-W. Below. Comes from Cappy Games. It's out uh, on Xbox exclusively for console. I think it's also on PC. Uh, this is a real-time, top-down, dungeon-crawling roguelike. So you may think that this, this would be is a game I would be incredibly into, obviously. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be something that I would be incredibly into because that checks all of my boxes. And let me give you some backstory. Uh, have I talked about this game before? I probably haven't, huh? You well no because it's I don't think you have because it's well I mean you might have like talked about it coming out before but the I, I I remember on the show specifically you had talked about how Cappy Games had never put out a bad game before is that correct That is basically correct yes Okay and that you'd loved everything they'd put out so I was when I knew because I don't really I wasn't familiar with anything they had uh, put out off the top of my head but I remember seeing tweets about this and thinking. I wonder if Brad will, if they'll keep up their streak of perfect games for Brad, but I guess you'll let us know. They, I will, I will spoil you right now. They don't, they don't keep oh, up that no. streak. <laughs> there were, there's two developers, Cappy Games and Drinkbox Studios. Both of those people had an incredible track record of me loving every single thing they've ever done, but they both have broken their streak. So, I mean, that's fine. No one's perfect. They've had both had a, a tremendous library of games. I still love them both. So it's not like I'm bashing them or anything, but yeah, I was. I think the time when I can buy any game just based off a developer's reputation and be fine with that is kind of over. But So let me give you some backstory. I first saw this game in 2013, so literally five years ago. Oh, my gosh. It was on display at the Penny Arcade Expo in Seattle, and I did not even own an Xbox One at that time. I saw this at PAX, and I'm like, wow, this looks dope. I love Cappy Games. I love Dungeon Crawlers. I love top-down action. This looks 1,000% my jam, and these guys make let me make great things i gotta play this game so this was one half of the two games that i bought my xbox one for it was below and i bought the uh, the other one was d4 uh from sweary 65 and you know i'm a big sweary fan so uh when i saw both of those games being exclusive to the xbox one that was enough to get me to buy the box back then uh jokes on me though that game did not come out for five fucking years <laughs> so i could have waited a real good long time i could have gotten a real good deal on my xbox one i could have bought in the xbox one s i could have bought in the xbox one x and i still would have <laughs> bought one of those things before this game came out so i'm the sucker in this equation uh anyway that was where i know below from i was always puzzled because it disappeared and cappy are really good they put out a game they they market it it comes out everything's fine they're real stable real predictable studio and this one just vanished and i thought that was really bizarre I don't know exactly the story behind it, uh, whatever, whatever. It kind of is beside the point. But bottom line, this game has been whispered of for five years. It finally appeared last week 
I got a code from the developer, so full disclosure, I'm playing with a free code from the developer. And I got to say, man, like, it just, it was just not worth the wait. I don't know why this game took five years to come out. I'm really disappointed in what it is. I actually quit playing the game last night because I got really mad and frustrated at it. Um, so it's a it's a top-down dungeon crawler, roguelike, real-time action. It's one of those games where they don't tell you jack shit about anything because they want you to figure it out for yourself and the mystery mm, is quote-unquote... Oh, game. God. I really mm, love it so much. <laughs> I mean, a little bit's okay, but they kind of carry it a little bit too far because what ends up happening is you don't even know who your character is. You don't know where you're going. You don't know why you're there. You don't know what your goal is. I mean, obviously, you're a person on an island, and literally the only thing you can do is go in the dungeon. So you figure that out pretty quick, but it's like, why? Like, what's the story? Why am I here? Am I rescuing somebody? Am I exploring? Like, what's the... Like, there's just no connection, right? And so I need a little bit of character connection in all my games. Like, character is really important to me. I don't like playing with, like, generic protagonists. There's got to be a little bit of flavor there. So that's kind of like one strike against it. Um, also, the graphics are really, 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 really small. Your guy is tiny on the screen. I don't have a giant TV, but I have an okay TV. And I couldn't see shit what was going on. Like I had to scoot my chair like all the way up till I was like sitting basically with my nose to the screen because it was so small. And I think part of it is an artistic choice because you're supposed to feel like a very small helpless, powerless person in this strange, mysterious island. And that works. I mean, like, the rocks and the, the, the dungeon and the bottomless pits, like, it all seems very large and imposing and scary. But the side effect of that is, like, you can't see shit. It's too small. When you're in the caves, it is too dark. And it's there's a lot of really small details that are very important to pay attention to. For example, you have a water meter because you get thirsty. You have a hunger meter because you get hungry. You have an energy meter for your lantern that you have. And people tell me that later on there is a meter for your cold. So you get uh, your temperature cold. Uh, like when there are these little mice that you can kill in the game to get food because you're, you're, you're constantly going hungry. They're tiny. They're like little black pixels. And if you're not looking specifically in the right place, you just don't even see them. Uh, so, like, you can miss out on a lot of necessary resources and starve to death. There are a number, like, way too many one-hit-kill booby traps. You can't see them. They are too small. The level is too fucking dark. And this is a roguelike, so I'm sure you know what it means when you fucking die. Like, you can be very careful, manage your resources. You've got enough food. You've got enough water. You've been very careful about the combat. I literally last night took one wrong step and it was just a dark area and I stepped on a dark patch in a dark area. Snap. Trap kills me in one hit. I lose all my shit and I go back to the start and I'm just like, fuck you. Like, it's really, it's really tough because the stakes are really high. The traps are very deadly. It's hard to find resources uh, because it's just easy to overlook them. It's hard to find little things in the environment that you need to pay attention to. For example... Sometimes there are these little targets that you shoot with a bow and arrow and they unlock a door, but you, it's very easy to not see them. I was spinning my wheels last night, just circling and circling because I couldn't see this thing that I was supposed to see. Um, so there's all sorts of problems with that. I think also the combat is not great. There's this weird kind of delay to the combat and all of the enemies are like really deadly. Um, there's a couple of little peons that you can kill in the problem, but when you get to like a couple floors down in the dungeon, you get across these guys who will kill you like in one or two hits 
And all it takes is you like slightly facing the wrong way or just slightly mistiming your block or your attack and you're dead. And it's like to go back to the start, what happens is you die. A new person shows up. So like a new person arrives at the island that your old person arrived at. They go back into the dungeon, retracing your former character's footsteps. You can pick up the equipment that was dropped at the corpse of your last person, which is okay, but it's a lot to go through. Like it's a lot to, to, to just really quickly die in the blink of an eye because I stepped on a trap I didn't see or because a monster was two pixels over and I blocked it wrong and I got killed. And just to go back to the start with a fresh character and to have to go back and do a corpse run and have to go back through the part I was just through, it was just like a lot, you know, like it's, it's like a lot to get through. And I was feeling like, this game is very, very, very demanding. And I am no stranger to challenging games. I am no stranger to challenge. I played and finished a lot of the hardest games out there if if I like them, if I feel like they click with me, if I feel like what they are asking is equal to what they are giving you. Uh, in, in the case of Below, I don't feel like that, that equation is correct. I feel like they are asking you to be hyper vigilant in an environment in which it's really difficult to see and in which you can die in the blink of an eye through just like by stepping one pixel too far or by mistiming something by just a fraction of a second. And they're asking you to be so careful and so cautious and so slow and so deliberate and so, uh, you know, judicious about the managing of your resources. I mean, it's like, it's a lot to balance and it's a lot to do and it's a lot on your plate and there's very little wiggle room for you to fuck up. And what I get in return is a game that I can't really make out a lot of the details of what I'm supposed to be looking at a game where I don't have a character I'm related to, a game where I don't even know what my quest is. I, I, it's, it's, they're asking a lot and giving me very little in return. And I just got really tired of it. Um, I played it for about three days. I got to the fourth tier of dungeons, which I don't even know how, is that far? Is it not far? I don't even know how far it is because relating back to our discussion that we just had, I have no idea how long this game is or what I'm supposed to do. So it could be another hundred floors. It could be one more floor. I don't know what the <laughs> end point is, you know? And I just, I was real careful. I had used up a lot of my resources. I was hoping to make it to like uh, the next save point. And I got killed in a trap that I totally didn't even see until I was dead. And I'm like, fuck this, fuck everything about this. Fuck this thing sideways. Like, I just can't play this anymore. I don't want to work this hard to play a game that is really not really even that fun to begin with. And I just, I stopped. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just leave this. I'm going to write up my review and we'll move on. And that's it. So I'm really, really disappointed because I think the idea of it's cool. I really like Cappy Games. I, I could be up for a roguelike right now. I'd be totally fine playing one of those. But this game just is too hostile. Like, it's too hostile. It's too demanding. It's too difficult to play. And I just don't feel like what I'm getting in exchange is worth it. Like, I just don't feel like me spending my lifespan on this is, is a good deal. So I'm not going to play it anymore. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it even to people who are fans of roguelikes or of dungeon crawlers. Like I don't think it's, I don't think it's got it's it's balance right. Maybe in six months or a year, when they patch it out or fix things or whatever, maybe it'll be worth it then. But right now, I don't think this is a game you should play. So I'm out. Below, done. Mm, I <clears throat> wish I had a good pun for below, like. Oh, you're gonna come out on top by not finishing below or something. This is worthless. I don't think I can think of a good one. <laughs> that wasn't too bad. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, like when when below goes low, you go high or something. 
Uh, good friend uh, Patty Stardust uh, from Twitter said this was below expectations or below mm, average, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. Which yeah. sucks because I want to use that for my review, and now I can't, you know, I can't steal it from them. So I got to come up with something else <laughs> now. But anyway, that's all I have to say. I'm really disappointed, and I don't know why this game took five years to come out because honestly, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot going on in this game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Don't know what the story was, but uh, that's all we're going to talk about for below now. We have one final game to talk about, and this is your official mega, super-duper, hardcore spoiler warning. Everybody listening, this is a spoiler warning, red alert, <laughs> alarm, run for the hills, hit the stop button now. We are going to be spoiling Call of Cthulhu, the narrative game which just came out from Cyanide Studios, I believe? Yeah, Cyanide and Focus Home Interactive. Yeah, okay. So this is the game we talked about briefly a show or two ago. We are going to be going into every aspect of this, spoiling the story, spoiling the ending, spoiling all the puzzles, spoiling everything. So this is your spoiler warning, and this is the last warning you're going to get. And now we are going to be talking about Call of Cthulhu, front to back, A to Z. Corey, I have finished this game a couple weeks ago. You have recently finished this game. Uh, I am the Cthulhu fan, Lovecraft fan. I think you were probably not so much a Cthulhu Lovecraft fan. Uh, but I will turn the floor over to you, sir. Uh, we kind of talked about this, the, the generalities of this game. I don't think we really need to go too deep into it because we covered that before. Um, now that you've wrapped up this game, I guess overall, what do you want to talk about? How did it strike you? What did you think? What are your thoughts? I... So... Oh my god, I don't even know where to start. So, okay, first things first. Like, we talked about this game on our last show because i was like just getting into it and i'd played it for maybe like an hour or something and it's only been like i don't know like seven or eight days since we last recorded and i finished it it must have been like the night or the night after we recorded our last show and it feels like like i already like forgot so much about it like i I didn't really care for it by the end, I guess, is like to, to like sum this like way up. Like it's kind of an example, like we've been talking about on the show. At the beginning, like starts pretty good, but the more I play it, the more I'm just like, okay, like this is it. And I think the th I think the thing that kind of did it for me in this game is like it starts and and I realize that this is probably like a summation of the like the Cthulhu genre and like correct me if I'm wrong because you know more way more about it than I do but the thing that I think I didn't like about it is that it starts really grounded you know you're a private detective there's an old guy that comes and asks you to investigate the death of his like granddaughter or something and she kind of died under mysterious circumstances and she was living in this big manor on this island you go to the island and it's obvious that there's like supernatural forces you know afoot uh you know from when the game starts but it's not like super like beat you over the head with it it's just kind of like okay this stuff is like kind of here um but it just like the more you play the game the more it like it sort of like abandons all um like reality i guess like i think it's possible for a game to have like a really strong basis in reality and also to like kind of like jump off a little bit into supernatural territory and like stay good to me like i'm not saying that a game has to be like like heavy rain where it all takes place in a perfectly like rational reality um in order for me to enjoy it but i just like the deeper i got in this game like the more it completely abandoned reality and just kept going into like 
the Cthulhu stuff. And I mean, that's probably like kind of, I mean, I don't know. There's probably people, maybe even you, Brad, listening to me right now, and you're just thinking in your head, like, God, that's the point of the game, like, dumbass. That's the whole, that's the whole point of the genre. But I just, like, had a hard time getting behind it as it kept, like, going into madness because it's, like, you would have people that would, like, die in a sequence, and then in the next scene they're, like, alive again, and it there was, like, a lot of these, like, demons and stuff, and you end up at this, like ritual thing and you have to decide if you want to like do the ritual or if you want to stop the ritual and I just kind of like stopped caring about basically like anything that was going on in the game at about the halfway point and so like as I kept playing it it just kind of got like more and more obtuse and more and more supernatural and I just cared less and less about what was going on the longer I played it and um and it's also one of those games that kind of like gives up the mystery like halfway through because like the point of the game is you're trying to like inspect the murder of this woman and then you like find her like halfway through the game and i mean it, it doesn't like wrap up the story then but that was like what i was interested in like exploring this island finding her find or finding out what happened to her and then she's like not dead and then she's like in on the stuff that's going on and it's just like too it's just too much it's too much for me it's too much supernatural it's too there's too much of like listening to people talk at you and I just kind of got tired of it the longer I played it and like you and I because you played it a long time ago and finished it weeks before I did and we never really had the chance to like tie a bow on it which is like the point of the show right now um so like i i don't really know what you thought of it when you finished it but i am interested to know if we had the same experience if it kind of grew weary for you or if because you're interested in sort of like the genre and this sort of like sort of like lovecraftian thing if you like thought i got more interesting so what did you think about it uh, before I get to what I thought of it, let me just back it up a little bit. So, like, okay. th- basically every single H.P. Lovecraft story, Cthulhu story, and, like, basically they all kind of follow the same template. Things start off a little spoopy. Somebody goes <laughs> to figure out something that's going on. They find some kind of artifact or a book or they see something, and they're, they're like, holy shit, there's this whole other aspect of reality that I didn't know about. Now I'm really creeped out and scared but i can't stop investigating and then the more they investigate the more they pull back the veil of what they think is reality to find out that there is like a whole universe of tentacle sex monsters that are out there (laughs) that want to just kill you and eat you and the point of it like the point of all of these things and really one of the ultimate points of lovecraft as an author in general was to kind of emphasize man is not nearly as big or as smart or as powerful as he thinks he is and actually we are a very small piece of the cosmos kind of like food for a larger monster or just some afterthought to these like elder gods that are out in space and so basically every story kind of goes that way like you know there's variations of course but like it's all about starting small you find something it gets real fucking cray cray and then at the end you go crazy and literally no protagonist of any Lovecraft story ever survives. They all either go crazy or they die or they get killed or something. So that's kind of what they're all about. And that's kind of what I expected going into this one. Um, I will say that I liked this game on one level because I liked just being kind of a detective and walking around. I liked that combat was not really a thing in this game. 
I liked um, just kind of investigating these creepy locales and checking things out. It really called back to a lot of the stories I've read and a lot of the, the mythos stuff that uh, Lovecraft is known for. Uh, but I will say that this game really fucks up, like pretty hardcore, <laughs> like about halfway. So I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I mean, I think maybe our expectations were slightly differently, but I think we're kind of arriving at the same goal or the same endpoint because what I disliked about this game was I felt like they tried to cram too much. And what happened was, like, like you said, you start off thinking you're going to try to find the granddaughter of this guy turns out that she's having these creepy dreams and of course she's she's kind of tapping into the otherworldly other dimension monster zone and so that's what's going on you figure that out pretty quickly but then like what really happens is they take like three different lovecraft stories and mash them all up into the same thing so like you you find the lady and she's dream dreaming and she's painting her dreams and these paintings are opening up portals to another dimension like that's a story all by itself that's a complete story and when you finally find the monster that's coming through the paintings and you figure out what's going on like that's enough of a tale but then that somehow leads into this island of people who are cultists but the cultists became cultists because they found a deep sea scary scary monster which is another thing that lovecraft was obsessed with was like monsters under the ocean monsters in space monsters on the ocean those are his two things and so they find this giant leviathan monster at the bottom of the sea they somehow kill it and bring it back to their island because at that time they are all starving they eat the flesh of this monster and because they eat the flesh of this monster that taps them into the monster dimension and they become cultists. So that in itself is a whole other story. That is a separate story. It should be a separate story. But they tie that together with the lady who's having dreams. I think that's already getting too complicated. But then they throw even a third <laughs> thing into the mix. This game is motherfucking called Call of Cthulhu. And Cthulhu is probably the most famous monster that Lovecraft ever came up with. So he's got to be the big bad. But like a Cthulhu story is a, a separate story all on its own. So like... You find the dream monster, but that leads to the cultists who were eating the undersea monster. But then that leads to the undersea monster being a servant of Cthulhu who wanted them to eat his flesh in the first place because that was going to open up a portal for him to come back. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you guys are confusing the shit out of this. It's way too much going on. It doesn't make sense. It's really illogical. And it really takes away from the elegance of, of telling the story. Like, any one of those things, the undersea monster, Cthulhu himself, or the dream monster, any one of those things would have made a fine game all on its own. And that's all you needed. You did not need more. But they kept adding more and more and more. And it just, it doesn't come together. Um, it's really hard to figure out how these things are related at first. And then there's just too many clues and people are, are going crazy. And then you get these weird dream sequences, which I don't think are very well done. Um, you start seeing through people's... Uh, other characters perspectives which i don't think was very well done it's like they wanted to have like like they took one thing from literally every lovecraft story and mashed it all together to make like this uber story which i don't think worked so when you're still trying to figure out what's going on at the beginning and getting to about the halfway point like it's all pretty good like it's all a pretty good lovecraft game i'm like this is pretty good they got the tone down it's creepy you're investigating going crazy a little bit that's all fine they just went sailing over the edge with having too much. <laughs> uh, definitely the case of a game where less is more. And I think that they fucked up 
all of it, honestly. I mean, <laughs> by the time, like, so by the time that you got to the end of the game, I knew what was going on just because I've read a bunch of Lovecraft stories. And I know how these things go. By the time that you got to the, the final sequence where there's like a ritual and they're trying to summon Cthulhu, like, did you have any fucking idea what was going on at all? Well, like the ritual thing, <clears throat> I kind of didn't understand. Like I was able to piece together like the, I mean, I guess kind of like the big revelation for me was like the fact that they were eating the tentacle monsters, like body, like it's flesh. Like they were basically just like, like, like it was any fucking like salmon in the ocean. They just like kill it and then they start eating it. And that was kind of like the big revelation for me, which I, whenever, cause they kind of reveal it in the game. And I was like, oh, this is kind of, like, significant. Like, they're eating this, like, giant squid thing. So, like, of course they're going crazy or of course they're, like, turning mad or whatever. Um, so, like, I, that was, like... I mean, you're right. Like, it, it's just, like, too many things. Like, there was that thing. And, like, the fucking, like, Shambler portal boss thing. Like, can we just talk about, like... That boss battle? How well, how many just, like, one-hit kill scenarios are in this game? Like, there's these awful stealth sections where it's, like... You get seen, and if you can't get away, it's a one-hit kill. Or there's, like, a section at the end of the game where you have a gun, and it's, like, the only part of the game that has combat. And, like, the combat is not necessarily bad, because you just, like, shoot the gun. You don't have to, like, aim, really. But if any of, like, the zombie cult dudes, like, get you, you die in one hit. There's no, like, defending yourself. There's no shooting them. There's no pushing them off of you. And they're just, like regular they're kind of like zombies and they're like regular people they're not like giant monsters so like i don't there's like a lot of stuff going on and but like by the time i got to the the end which is like the like the seance or whatever you wanted the ritual that they're putting on like i i mean i really like didn't know what was going on i was just kind of like at that point i was really checked out i was just going through the motions and luckily they let you like reload your save right there because it's one of those games where like you can change like the ultimate ending of the game, like, like in the last like three minutes of the game. So like I did it one way and then I just reloaded it and did it the other way just to see like what, like what I could do. And then I like looked at the trophy list. Cause I always look at trophy lists after I play the games. Cause I don't want to spoil myself on anything. And there's trophies for like avoiding the ritual altogether. And I was like, how the fuck do you even do that? Like, like at no point in the game, did it like, present to me that you could just like not do it at all so i was like really confused about that unless they were like talking about a different part of the game with like a different ritual or something but um yeah there's just there's a lot happening here and not all of it is satisfactory yeah they really don't do themselves uh, any service by complicating things so much it really takes away from the approachability and the clarity of the story they're trying to tell i definitely agree with you about the cell sections i hated every Anytime that there was a possibility of me dying, I fucking hated it because <laughs> it's just, I don't like instant kill. I don't like these poorly done stealth sections. I really, I hated the Shambler part where you're actually fighting the Shambler, which is the dream monster. I, I mean, did you even figure that out or did you have to look it up? I was able to figure out that I needed, okay. So like for a setup on the scenario for people listening, you're basically in like an art gallery in a museum and this like Shambler monster thing comes out of a painting and it tries to pull like a amnesia dark descent thing or like a soma thing where like it, it one hit kills you but you can't look at the monster because then it'll come at you faster and there's these daggers these ceremonial daggers in different like cases around the museum like as you would expect like in display cases 
I was able to piece together that I needed to get a dagger and slash the painting with it. I was not able to piece together that only one of the several daggers in this art gallery will work. So like I had to look online and figure that out, but I was luckily like able to piece together the dagger bit, but there's like several daggers and only one of them works. So you either have to go through the cases one by one to find it, or you look up a guide online and you find out which one is there because it's always in the same spot. Thank God. Because if it were in a different spot every time, I probably just would have quit the game right there. Um, but it's it's hard and it's not cool. Yeah, I was not able to figure that out. Uh, I just kept getting killed by the monster and I got really frustrated and I was like, am I supposed to escape? Am I like, what the fuck am I even doing here? And I, you know, I saw that some of those daggers were highlighted and I tried grabbing some of those and stabbing it that didn't work i was like i don't even know what's going on i mean there's actually a note on the floor behind the most prominent painting but you're probably not going to go there because it really puts you in view of the monster it's like the most uncovered most vulnerable place to be uh so i never went out there so i never got the note that kind of told you what to do and i never figured that out and i was like oh my god this sucks i hate this section it's really terrible not a fan of that um and there's other parts of the game where I, I just felt like it just really didn't come together. Uh, for example, there's one part uh, towards the end of the game where you have one med kit and you need to decide like which villager gets it. There's like the lady who's kind of this like bad boss bitch who I guess maybe you can be friends with her. She was just really mean to me the entire time that I played. I really not did not like her because we never she, came to. She was mean to me, but I liked her. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We never came to like this uneasy truce or anything, so I was like, "Fuck you." Um, but the other, ch the other choice was this random villager who I had no idea who he even was, and it's like, "Oh, save me!" And I'm like, "Well, who are you? Why are you the other choice? At least, at least I know who the mean lady is. I've seen her a couple times. I don't even know who you are. Did you find that other guy?" Yeah, because when I like, because you find the medical, or I think I don't know if you find the medical kit first or not, but I remember somebody in the environment telling me like. Oh, like Cat is the woman's name, like the the bad bitch lady. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, Cat is injured. You need to like, if you can help her, please help her. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm gonna help her because like, yeah, like she's like mean, but I like her. And then like I went to the docks because I was just like exploring the area, and I find this like fisherman dude, and he's like, oh, like I can sail us out of here or whatever. Like help me, and like maybe that's the way you can avoid the ritual is by like healing him, and I don't know, sailing away. I don't know something. And so I. Yeah, but I had no idea who he was. And in my mind, I was like, okay, they, I was like, obviously there's a second medical kit out there. Like, this is what I was thinking. I'm like, there's got to be a second one because you can heal both of them. And then it took me a long time to realize, okay, no, you can only heal one of them. Obviously, the game is trying to do this, like, choose who lives scenario. But yeah, I totally went and healed Kat because, like, I, yeah, she's mean, but she's, like, resourceful and she's, like, cool. She's, like, a cool character and I like her voice. Um, so, yeah, I totally went up and healed her. I would have liked her more if she wasn't like totally aggro to me and like it was like too mean to me the entire time. <laughs> I did not I did not like her and I'm like fuck you I'm gonna leave you to die. I I had figured out there was only you're trying to stir shit up on our island, Brad. Of course she's not gonna like you. Absolutely. I was like okay. I've only got one med kit. I I know that I got to choose between you two. So I don't even know who fisherman guy is. I have literally no clue. But I'm gonna choose this rando dude over you because I don't like you. But what happens is uh, you give him the med kit and nothing happens. Like you can't sail away like it doesn't get you a oh. boat or anything 
Son of a bitch. Yeah, it just you just give it to him. He's like, oh, here's this key. <laughs> and then he just, like, stays there. And you're like, okay, well, I hope that Band-Aid I gave you helped because <laughs> you still look like you're in pretty bad shape, dude, but whatever. Um, other parts of the game that I thought were pretty disappointing, uh, I had trouble with some of the puzzles. Did you? How did you do on some of the puzzles? I felt like the puzzles were... I mean, the only one I can, like, really remember right now that I felt good about completing on my own was the one in, like, the bookstore where you have to listen to, like, the tapes, like, the wax tape things. Because I remember thinking, like, this is this is almost hard enough for me to be frustrated, but I actually, like, was able to put it together on my own in one try. Um, but I can't really see it. Like, this game is fading from my memory so quickly that I, like, can't even remember any of the other puzzles in the game. Yeah, that was the part I got really stuck at. I That puzzle didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I just, I mean, maybe it was me. Maybe it was my brain. But, like, I was talking to a friend who was also reviewing it at the time. And he sailed through it. And he thought it was really clear and easy and no big deal. And I was like, I, I just could not understand what they wanted me to do or what the point of it was. Like, it was too, too I, mean, I guess, too subtle for my dumb brain. I just couldn't put it together. So I got really <laughs> stuck there. Uh, There's this one part where you're in kind of a dream sequence and you're like walking in these hallways and you have to look at these symbols that are like floating in the air. And then you see one and it kind of changes the hallway behind you. Do you remember this oh, part? It's kind of like dark. The, the, the colored lanterns thing. Oh my God. That sucked. That was a garbage puzzle. Yeah, I terrible. hated it. It was so stupid and video gamey. Like the red lantern makes it look one way. The blue lantern makes it look a different way. And you got to go back and forth. And sometimes the floor is there and it's not. And it, none of it made sense and not in a scary dream nightmare way it was like a, this is a really poorly made video game puzzle way like i just it's just real bad so i did not like that very much at all either uh and there's one part at the very beginning of the game when you were trying to get into the warehouse for the first time and i didn't have the skill to talk to the guards so i could not get past the guards i needed to find a gear and i looked in that room it is not a big room i could not find it i searched and searched and searched and searched and searched and searched i could not find it and i'm like it's got to be in this room it's got to be here it's like an eight by ten room there's nothing in here there's got to be something here and there was something there but it was like you had to duck down and put your camera as close to the wall as you could possibly do it and then kind of look backwards and then there was this thing there and i'm like okay that was way too much work for like how simple this puzzle was uh, I just, it felt like it was a problem with the way that the game worked because I didn't think I could even move my camera that far. So I got really frustrated with some of the puzzles. Um, and just overall, when it got to the end, I just felt really dissatisfied by the way it kind of fell apart. I mean, a good start, but, and it's not the worst game I've ever played. It's not even the worst Cthulhu or Lovecraft game I've ever played, <laughs> but it really didn't get to where I wanted it to go. So, I mean, overall, I think I would probably recommend it to people who were only to Lovecraft fans who want to play everything. Like, I think it's worth playing if you are that person. And I, I, I kind of am that person. Um, <laughs> but for you, who's not really a Lovecraft dude, who's more of a walking sim dude or a narrative um, exposition kind of dude. I don't, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it would work really. And after having listened to you and your thoughts, I mean, it, it seems like it really didn't work for you. Yeah. I mean, like it started off okay. And I don't think it's like a bad game. Like I don't want to, it's not like a, you know, two out of 10 or anything, but it, it's just like, I wasn't prepared for how like convoluted and mythology it was going to get. And for like how, I don't know, just like 
supernatural it was going to get. And, like, again, like, I know that's kind of the point. And, you know, so maybe, like, this is my bad here. But I, I just – I enjoyed how it grounded itself at first and how it was just, like, you're a detective and you're kind of – because, like, the part with the docks that you're talking about with the gears, like, I like that part because there's, like, five different ways you can solve that depending on, like, how you put skill points into your skills. So it, like, gives you – a lot of options but the game kind of like abandons that after a while where it's like oh here's this cool scenario where you can solve this thing in five different ways and then for like most of the rest of the game there's like not five different ways you can solve things so it kind of like quickly funnels you down this like linear narrative path and i kind of wish it would have stayed more open and stayed more like investigative and less just kind of like funneling you down this like weird narrative river that gets all surreal and shit I agree. I wish that they had kind of done more of like the Deus Ex solve it your own way sort of a thing. If they had stuck with that longer and not tried to cram so many Lovecraft elements in there, I think there would have been enough space for them to accomplish that. But they really wanted to get all those other bits in that ultimately didn't work. And so, like you said, by about the halfway point, it kind of didn't matter what your skills were and it kind of didn't matter what you did because they're there were way less choices as you got further ahead than there were at the beginning. And I know that it's not easy to make a game like that. I, I get that it's very difficult. Um, I'm not calling anybody lazy or anything, but I think that you get you get funneled pretty quickly and then it really becomes clear that, yeah, okay, this is just like a it's no longer a detective game. It's no longer a skills based game. It's no longer really that important how I built my character because you get on this one track and then you kind of just follow the track. I mean, there's a little a few choices here and there, but ultimately not as much as you get at the beginning. So, again, another game that starts really strong, but then kind of peters out as it goes. So we're seeing a lot of those on this show. Oh my God! Yes, and believe me, we're going to be talking about another one next week. So, uh, oh man, for that fun. Before we close this discussion out, I have a tiny fun fact for you about this game. Um, the guy who voices uh, Edward Pierce, who is the lead character in this game, is also the lead voice actor of, or the voice actor for the lead character in Vampire Vampire Jonathan, whatever his last name is. Oh really? He's that vampire guy, huh? Yeah, he's the same guy, and it's funny because they look similar, both guys. Like, I've been on a roll lately, I feel like, with games with characters who are just, like, like brown, like slender, brown-haired, like, kind of, like, slightly older dudes that are, like, not particularly... I mean, that's, like, I just described, like, three-quarters of male video game protagonists, but it's been, like, particularly egregious lately, and now we have two games that are even using the same voice actor. Well, I guess that says something about uh, the quality of character designers in games these days. Maybe they all are designing people that look like themselves. Who knows? Definitely could use a little more diversity out there for sure. But uh, <laughs> point taken. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about Cthulhu. Shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap. Man, I can't. I was going to try to think of another good pun, but I can't. Let's um, let's call it quits on this game. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Everybody listening, I'm really sorry. Just that's you, you know, we all stop. have our off days, man. It's not bad. I, <laughs> I super appreciate the effort. It's it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. All right. Thank you for listening, folks. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us once again. Uh hope you enjoyed it. Uh in the meantime, please remember you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Uh please send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. You can get us uh, so video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com when the show gets posted there. We are on Twitter collectively at so video games, but you can also get us individually, and I think that's probably the better way to go. 
Uh, my Twitter and Instagram both are B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, and get ready for a lot more food pictures since I became a stay-at-home dad. I'm just posting food 24-7, so brace yourself. Corey, where are you on the social medias? I am uh, on everything. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch, I guess. I say Twitch every week, and I'm not really doing anything over there. Um, I also have, like been taking a break from Instagram because I got shadow banned on Instagram. Have you heard of this, Brad? Do you know what this is? I've, I mean, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but shadow ban is when you are banned from interacting. Like people can't see what you're saying and it's like you're not there, but you don't know that it happened to you. Is that correct? <laughs> That's partially, I mean, that might be correct for other platforms. It's partially correct for Instagram. So on Instagram, a big thing about Instagram and Twitter for that matter is using hashtags and when you get shadow banned on Instagram, it basically means that every hashtag you post is worthless and people who search for that hashtag will not see your pictures. They don't show up anywhere. So like the people that follow you can still see your stuff, but the hashtags are completely worthless. And somehow I'm still not sure how this happened. I don't know if Instagram thinks I'm a bot or something. I got shadow banned. So I just like logged out of Instagram and have basically been taking like a break for a week because I have read on the internet that that maybe could help. Um, however, my account is still active over there and I encourage you to follow me. Um, I mean, I guess if you want pictures of skateboarders and parkour dudes and cats, then that's uh, what I have over there. But I am on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, my handle is also much like Brad's. It's also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, 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 and uh, I guess I guess you've been a naughty boy because I mean, why else would you shadow ban? Huh? What happened there? Uh, I've probably been asking people for nudes too much on Instagram. Yeah. What can I say? Same just posted old. my dick all over my Instagram story, and they just shadow ban me. Whenever I think of Corey Motley, I certainly think of dick pics. That's for sure. That's <laughs> me. Yep. All the time, twenty four seven. Twenty four seven. All right, folks. That brings us to the end of another So Video Games. Once again, thanks for joining us. Stick around for our non-video game banter after the closing music, if you're so inclined. Uh, if not, no big deal. Join us next week for more games-focused chat. And for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. talk about stuff i am gonna preempt everything else i want to go first because i'm very excited and i want to talk about i know i know what you're gonna you know what i'm gonna talk about and and i want you to know that this is gonna be a really good banter section because we both saw the same movie yesterday oh well i was gonna talk about the chicken stew i made for breakfast but i guess stop stop you're lying (laughs) i am indeed (laughs) lying you saw into the spider-verse as well i did i saw it last night wasn't that movie fucking amazing Okay, like I don't, I don't say this lightly, and I like a lot of movies out there. I also dislike a fair amount of movies, but I don't say this lightly. But I do think it is possible that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was a perfect movie. I was gonna say the same thing, dude. I'm like, oh my god, this is like a fantastic movie. It is literally like all the bases are covered. Everything is taken into account. It's smart writing characterization is great visual effects are fucking amazing 
It's cool. There's a lot of neat surprises. I mean, like, there's nothing not to like about that movie, dude. It's like a perfect movie. <laughs> it really is. And, like, even for me, like, I've seen... I think I've seen almost every Spider-Man movie. Like, you... Because, you know, like, I'm all right with superheroes. I'm not, like, the biggest superhero fan on the planet, but I'll watch, like, a fair amount of the movies. Sure, sure. And, like, I even... Like, I like Spider-Man, but I'm not, like, obsessed with Spider-Man. And even being, like, the, like, lukewarm kind of Spider-Man fan that I am, going in... And, you know, because everybody on Twitter has been doing nothing but singing the praises of this movie from the heavens. And I went in thinking, okay, like, yeah, it's probably going to be good, but, like... I'm sure all these people know so much more about Spider-Man than I do, and they're going to be able to like pick out all the comic like Easter eggs and stuff. And even me, being the lukewarm Spider-Man fan that I am, I went in and thought it was fucking amazing. Oh my god, it was so good! Like, I remembered, I remembered seeing the first trailer for this like maybe like six months ago or nine months ago, and I'm like, well, that's weird, Spider-Man movie that's animated and at Christmas time. That seems bizarre. Like. It, it seemed like they were kind of setting it up to fail, you know? Like, it seemed just like one of those rando... Because, I mean, I guess maybe people don't know this, but in addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, uh, there are a lot of animated superhero movies. Like, if you go to Netflix and you start looking down that particular rabbit hole, there's there's dozens of, like, animated movies that have been made. You never hear about them because they're not really that great or they're just standard. I mean, some are okay, but it's not like anything that I would, like, go rave about. You know, I wouldn't go, like, recommend a bunch of those to a friend or anything. Um, I think those are very much in the genre of, like, if you're a fan, then you know what to expect, and it'll make you happy, but maybe not so much for other people. So I was like, well, huh. This kind of, it first struck me, like, is this one of those other ones? Are they just, like, upping the budget a little bit? Is it going to be, like, one of those fans only? That's ah, so strange. Um, but, you know, time goes by, and then, you know, just like you said, everybody on, t like, literally every single person on Twitter was like, oh, my God, this movie's amazing. <laughs> like, the Rotten Tomatoes, like, literally every review is, like, super positive. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, we were already probably going to see it because we're, you know, we see all the superhero movies. But I'm like, God damn, this is ridiculous. People are like flipping out over this movie. And man, I'm also flipping out about it. Sounds like you're flipping out about it too. It's fucking good. I think it's so good. I mean, there's I uh, just like everything about it is great. I really loved, we don't have to spoil anything because I don't want to spoil a thing for people here. But I mean, I love that Miles Morales, who is the... Uh, I don't even know what to even call him. Like, you know, second Spider-Man, other Spider-Man. He was introduced in the comics many years ago. And so he's been kind of around. And I had known that people were talking about maybe bringing him more into the spotlight, you know, for various reasons. I mean, obviously he is young and Peter Parker, although he's he became young in the movie with, uh, what is the name of the, the guy that just took over the Spider-Man role, the actor? Uh, Tom Holland. He's great. Tom Holland is fucking amazing. I love Tom Holland. Um, and they did kind of age him back a little bit. But I think in general, over the last few years, Peter Parker has been kind of like looking a little bit older, maybe talking about more dark, serious things. So maybe Miles is another way that they can bring that back. He's also obviously multicultural. He's like half black and half Puerto Rican. So that reaches a lot more people. Um, the movie, you know, even touches on that theme. They say multiple times that, you know, anybody can be Spider-Man. It doesn't have to be a white guy. It doesn't have to be Peter Parker. Like they, they talk about the, the heroics of, of being a Spider-Man. And they, they talk about, like, personal loss. They talk about relationships. It's funny. I mean, I don't even think, like, like man, and I got to say, I was super impressed with the character redesigns. I do not want to spoil this, but, like, they take a lot of classic Spider-Man characters and kind of reimagine them for the movie. And I was like, dude, they were all so cool. I was, like, super impressed. Like, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, what did you think about uh, Miles as himself or, like, how he related to 
other people. I mean, I guess you want to give a real brief, real brief synopsis of what the movie's even <laughs> about. We're here totally just like jizzing all over the place. We haven't even talked about what the movie's about. <laughs> okay, so I will do my best to sum up what this movie is about. So a lot of the beginning of it takes place kind of setting the groundwork for Miles Morales' character. And he is uh, sort of like a younger, like inner city kid. And he... Um, he his dad is a cop and his dad's brother who is miles's uncle is kind of like a cool kind of like rebellious uncle guy and so his dad kind of um resents the fact that he kind of likes hanging out with his uncle because he's sort of like a kind of like a role model for him but maybe not for all the right reasons um and so they go on these adventures and do like graffiti and subway stations and stuff together which is kind of something that his dad would not approve of and uh, amidst some graffiti adventures, uh, Miles Morales sort of stumbles on a scenario in which Spider-Man, the Spider-Man that we all sort of know that's been in most of the iterations that we're aware of, uh, Peter Parker, is in this giant fight with um, a Green Goblin, who kind of looks like a dragon in this version, which is kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool, because like everything about this movie is incredibly stylized. And... Basically, during the fight, there is um, this, the, the sort of, like, backdrop for the fight is this, like, large hydron collider, which is sort of, like, trying to make different, um, like, time, it's kind of like a time travel machine, kind of. And it's also but blending it dimensions, too. Yeah, yeah, so it's like a time machine, but it's also, like, pulling different dimensions together, and it, like, a lot of the movie talks about sort of, like, this idea, you know, that there's, like, parallel universes going on everywhere, and so eventually, um, for reasons that I will not state, um, a bunch of, like, different Spider-Men and Spider-Women kind of come together in one central universe that Miles is based in, and so part of the movie is about, like, Miles sort of getting his superpowers and kind of, like, coming of age and learning how to use his superpowers, and then some of it is about all the different spider people kind of coming together in this universe and trying to uh, like work together and talking a little bit about their backgrounds and eventually trying to, I guess, like get back to the source of the collider and set all the universes straight and go home. Um, is that good enough of a description? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it, I mean, it kind of sounds hokey. Like when you just hear about it and before I saw the movie, I'm like, Oh, whatever dimension hopping you know like it just seemed like kind of a cheap way to bring a bunch of stuff together but <laughs> i mean i thought it was actually pretty well done like i thought it was pretty cool i thought it had a good explanation when they got to it and seeing the different you know the different explanations of like you know there's like a peter parker in every dimension and they all you know some of them look like very much like what we know in our world and some of them are pretty different and it's just interesting that they all have like similar arcs and similar motivations and they all have fairly similar personalities and that they're all you know pretty heroic i mean they didn't have a dimension where there was like an evil spider-man maybe there is one who knows but uh but it was great like seeing all the different types of spider-man which are you know advertised in the posters and stuff uh i was really cool i was familiar with a couple of them and i gotta say i was shocked to see um peter porker show up i mean he's been in the comics for like he's from the <laughs> comics from like the 80s dude and like he came back i mean totally side story his own thing not related to the rest of the marvel universe i was stunned that he actually made an appearance like what the hell that is crazy um i mean just the action and the visual style dude i mean as someone who spends a lot of time with visuals with your photography and the lighting and stuff i mean what did you think of the visuals i thought they were like like ridiculous like so good i mean were you like as taken with them as i was yeah i mean i really was because what we're so used to seeing in animated movies is and i, I think i read like a tweet or like a blog post about this the other day about how like sort of like like Disney and Pixar, whenever the first Toy Story came out, it kind of like 
unknowingly set a standard for kind of like what all like CGI, if you will, or animated movies will look like going forward. And if you think about it, I mean, basically everything that they've put out, like, yeah, they look better now than they did when Toy Story came out, but like they all have the same visual style, which, you know, I guess is neither here nor there. Like it's fine, but this movie is like truly like the different. It just doesn't, it doesn't look like, you know, a Disney Pixar movie or it doesn't look like that. It looks like it's blending a lot of different kind of animation styles together. It looks like a very faithful, like you look at a comic book and then you pretty much imagine that if the comic book leapt into an animated movie, like it's exactly what it would look like. And my favorite, one of my favorite things about it is that it, it really takes a lot of liberties with like really quick visual flares. Cause there are times in the movie, like there's one instance, for example, where Miles is like jumping over like a crosswalk or something, or no, it's like a subway train. I'm like the train, the, the subway's coming down the subway tunnel and he like jumps in front of it to get to the other side before it hits him. And he like jumps and for like a split second when he's in midair, this sort of like overlay behind him, instead of being the subway, it turns into this like red and orange and yellow kind of like sunset thing. And it's just like, the movie does it so often where it'll just be like these really small like, split second cuts that really um like drown out sort of what's going on around them or it like adds a bunch of visual flair or stuff like that and it just makes me want to like get the movie on blu-ray and watch it and just like pause it every time one of those happens and it happens all the time because there's so much like just absolutely incredible cinematography going on here with the animation and just the way that everything is framed and the way everything is colored like it really looks I, I feel like, you know, this is going to be so, like, hyperbolic, but it really looks unlike any animated movie I've ever seen before. And it's just so brisk and so stylish. And it's not, like, stylish in a way where you roll your eyes. Like, everything about it is just effortlessly cool and animated and, like, not pretentious in any way. And it's, oh, man, it's just really beautiful. Yeah, I totally agree. It's really stunning to watch. I mean, the angles are different. The way that they frame the action is different the speed at which they go and it, it really does not at all look like anything Pixar would have turned out, which is fine. I mean, and not to say that one needs to beat the other. I mean, they can both exist simultaneously, of course, but like it is nice to see somebody breaking away from that mold and not trying to follow in their footsteps to do something different. And I think it was like just hyper successful, like really, really successful. Um, And I just, I mean, I just love the story too. I mean, I think it's got a great message. I think Miles is a super likable character. I really like him a lot. And, um, you know, after I saw the movie, I saw tons of people on Twitter who were people of color saying, oh, my God, you know, my kids are really excited about Spider-Man now and they didn't really care before. And, you know, they saw something of themselves up on that screen and it really did have an impact. And I think that's great. I mean, I think it's wonderful to get more kids into, you know, I mean, you know, superheroes in general, but just, you know, showing something of themselves that they can see, they can they, they can like, that they can dress up as Halloween and feel like they, they own part of that. I mean, that's amazing. I think it's really good. Um God, I mean, everything about this movie was just great. I mean, I wanted to, like, immediately see it again, like, right afterwards. We're going to buy it, like, the second it comes out. I just really, really loved it. I got to say, also, um, super sad that, you know, Stan Lee has a cameo in this as a voice. And I think this, uh, the last voice recording he has done, I think that he has recorded other clips where he will be in front of the camera. So I'm pretty sure we will see him at least one or two more times in upcoming films. But this was like his last voiceover work. And especially has as he just died like really, really recently, it was extremely poignant. I mean, there was no way they could have known he was going to die. But the things that he said in that movie, I felt like had extra resonance now that he's gone. Um, I mean, that kind of really kind of got me the feels. Did that, did, that, did that hit you too, Corey? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, that, his cameo and it was definitely set up, and who knows if they, like, rejigged it, like, after he passed. I, they probably didn't have time, but, um, it, yeah, I mean, it really, I don't know, it's just kind of sad knowing that it's, like, one of the last things that we'll see him in, probably. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be, it's, it's definitely the end of an era, absolutely. Um, and, and so, overall, movie's super awesome. I loved it. I I mean, I, just like you, I don't often say a movie is a perfect movie, but this is pretty much like a perfect movie. I would recommend it to anybody, even if they were not Spider-Man fans, because I think the stuff is so approachable and accessible and easy to understand. And, I mean, unless you absolutely hate superhero movies, I think there's something in this movie for everybody to like. And it was just, like, so cool and action-packed. I mean, in fact, it was so successful, they've already announced uh, at least two more sequels are on the way. I don't know if you... Have you heard that already, Corey, or not yet? I have not heard that. Uh, they're going to have one which is going to feature on Miles and his relationship with uh, Gwen. Uh, and they're going to have another movie which is going to be just the ladies of the Spider-Verse. And we're going to get at least a couple more Spider-People who were not in the film. Um, they've mentioned uh, Jessica Drew, who was like the classic Spider-Woman. And a character named Silk, who I guess she's like an Asian Spider-Woman. I've actually never read any comics with her. I'm not familiar with her, but... Um, she's got kind of a following. I guess she gets cosplayed a lot, too. So, anyway, we can look forward to a couple more uh, films in the Spider-Verse. And there was also some hubbub a couple days ago. I don't know if you caught this on Twitter or not. But pe people were trying to make it out like, oh, Sony's going to patent this animation. And they're going to fuck their animators. And, oh, how corporate and sell out. But actually, Sony, like, invented the technology they're using for this animation and they wanted to use it to make more films. So I think that people were really trying to like, you know, like trying to get a narrative going of like big, bad corporate crushing artists, but that's actually not true. I mean, these artists wouldn't have created it if not for Sony. So it's weird that people try to spin it that way. But I mean, bottom line, I don't think that this particular animation engine and this style is going anywhere anytime soon. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of it. And I hope we see a lot more of it. Absolutely. I fucking love this movie. This movie's so fucking good, dude. I love this movie. <laughs> so good. Uh, <sighs> I saw it um, I, whenever I was trying to find a time to go see it with Patrick when we were looking at movie times. Um, I mean, because like nowadays, we probably haven't talked about this on the show, but there's like, whenever you go to the theater, there's a lot of different ways to see a movie, which sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but you have like your standard movie, and then um, you have like, 3d you have imax you have imax 3d and you have do you guys have the um the dolby theaters there that have like the incredible sound systems in them we do yeah we've got like all the op there's like yeah there's there's too many options to even go through totally <laughs> and so we saw this movie last night and just standard nothing special no 3d no imax no dolby sound whatever because the dolby theater is probably my favorite way to see a movie but um if imax is available usually i'll go for it but the weird thing about the Spider-Verse here is, like, every IMAX showing is at, like, 10 p.m., which is super weird. Um, but, like, this movie is so good that I want to go back and see it in, like, IMAX 3D. And usually I'm, like, the last person on the planet that wants to put on 3D goggles. But, like, there's so much going on in this movie that I just can't imagine how, like... I mean, it looked incredible already, but just, like, seeing it in 3D in IMAX, I think, would just be... I, don't, I just might have, like, an aneurysm right there in the theater, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but... I kind of just want to go see it in IMAX 3D now to see, like, what they do with the animation in 3D. I am not the kind of guy that ever sees a movie twice, but I would totally see this twice. I would totally do that, too. I would want to see it in IMAX also. I mean, it looked fucking amazing. I saw it in a, in a general, no frills, it's a screen and a chair kind of a theater, nothing <laughs> fancy. 
I, I would be really interested to see, like, with all the bells and whistles, everything turned up to 11. I mean, that must be just mind-blowing. My eyes would just, like, explode out of my face. It would be nuts. <laughs> so, okay, I think it's fair to say we both thought the movie was all right. I guess we might recommend it to Yeah, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Probably in my top 10. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, okay. Let's uh, let's stop jerking off Spider-Man. We got to, like, uh, take a break from that. <laughs> uh, have you seen any other movies, Corey? Anything else TV or film-related? I have, as a matter of fact. Lay it on me, sir. Um, two weekends ago, I almost talked about this last week, but we were running short on time, so I did not. Um, I went and saw the movie Widows with Viola Davis. Have you heard of this? Uh, I've heard of it, and I, I know just the gist. It's something about cr- uh, ladies who are married to criminals, and the criminals either get killed or go to prison or something, and then the ladies take over being criminals. Is that what this movie is? You are very much on the right track. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, so Widows, um, and to be honest, I was like, I wasn't, I was like kind of interested in this movie, but not super interested, but the Rotten Tomatoes score is like in the mid 90s. So I was like, okay, like I was kind of interested before, but now like, okay, it must actually be a good movie. So I want to go see it. Um, it's directed by Steve McQueen, who directed Shame, aka the Michael Fassbender gets his dick out every five minutes movie, which is actually a good movie, well, despite the I, fact that it's I, like, I have you not heard of this movie? I no? don't even know what you're talking about. Oh my God. Okay. There's, okay. Let me back up real quick. Back um, it on up. There's a movie called Shame that came out probably about four or five years ago, and it is about Michael Fassbender, who is, you know, Magneto and a bunch of other people. He's in, been in a ton of shit. Um, he is basically like a sex addict in the movie, and it's like about him living, I think he lives in New York, and like his sister kind of unexpectedly comes to visit him and kind of like turns his life upside down a little bit because she like shows up and he has to kind of like um, take care of her a little bit and sort of like accommodate her being there. But he's also dealing with like a lot of, you know, like mental health issues and basically just like being a sex addict. And like this movie could go one of two ways. It could be like a movie that's just like a raunchy sex movie, but it's actually like a really fascinating um, um, film. And like the big thing about this movie whenever it came out is that Michael Fassbender does full frontal nudity in it, like, all the fucking time. Like, the first, like, shot of the movie is him in bed, and he's got, like, sheets over him, so, you know, it's not like, it doesn't open with his dick in your face, but it takes about two minutes for him to get his dick in your face, and (laughs) he has, like, he has, like, sex with a bunch of people in the movie, and it's very much, like, that was kind of, like, the funny thing about the movie when it came out, is that it's like, oh, well, his dick is out all the time, because male full frontal nudity is, like, not a thing that happens in movies a lot, you know, because the movie industry is predominantly uh, dominated by men. So there's tits out everywhere, but there's not dicks out everywhere. But, um, but that was actually a really fascinating movie. It kind of reminded me in a weird way of like, if American psycho were a movie like made for our generation about like sex and not so much about like chainsawing people in half, which it's a weird, um, maybe a weird, like, I don't know, like comparison to make, but I don't know. That's just what I thought whenever I finished seeing it. But that, that's good. I recommend that movie. He also did um, 12 Years a Slave, which won a bunch of Oscars. So we're talking about like a high caliber filmmaker here. But Widows is a movie about Viola Davis, um, her husband, who is played by Liam Neeson in the movie. He's sort of like 
is the lead planner for this group of bank robbers. And it's like these like five dudes, I think. And basically they all die on their first or on their, not on their first job. They all die like at the beginning of the movie. This isn't a spoiler because it's like what the movie is about. They all, they do like a bank job or something. The police is after them. The car blows up. They all die. This happens in the first like five minutes of the movie. And Viola Davis is basically left with, she used to work for like a teacher's union. And I think she stopped working because his robberies were like bringing in so much money that basically she was just kind of living this lavish life. So when he dies, she kind of figures out like, shit, what am I going to do? Like, I don't really have anything anymore. And he leaves his last, his like notebook of jobs for her when he dies, sort of like in his will or something. And so the details for the next job that he was going to do are in that notebook. And so she sort of like rounds up all the other widows from the other guys that died. Not all of them, but most of them. And she plans this, um, she tries to like plan and pull off the next heist. And like none of them are like bank robbers. Like none of the wives were in on anything with the husbands. They just kind of did it and the wives are trying to live their own lives. And so, like, I wasn't expecting this to be, like, a balls-to-the-wall action movie because that's, like, not what it's advertised as. And it wasn't that. However, I will say that, like, there is a such thing as, like, a slow burn movie, which I can get really on board with. Like, I would maybe describe Drive with Ryan Gosling as a slow burn movie. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, but this movie is just kind of a slow movie. There's not really much burn to it. And it's a shame because there's a shitload of people in this movie, like... Viola Davis is in it. She was, like, the first black woman to win. I think it was a Golden Globe nominee for Best Leading Actress. Um, Liam Neeson's in it. Uh, the dude that plays the Punisher is in it, but he's only in it for, like, five minutes, but he's in it nonetheless. Um, Michelle Rodriguez from the Fast and the Furious franchise is in it. Colin Farrell is in it. It's, there's just, like, a shitload of people. The guy that voices uh, Miles's policeman dad is in this movie, so he's in it. I can't remember his name, but he's kind of a breakout star this year. Um, the dude that plays the main character in Get Out is in it. This movie has, like, everyone in it. And it just, like, spends way too much time sort of, like, characterizing, I guess, like, the women, which sounds like a really terrible thing for me to say because, like, I'm basically saying, like, oh, these women's lives are not interesting, which is not true. But, like, the whole movie is leading up to the heist, and it's, like an hour and like 40 minutes of kind of like sometimes boring, sometimes interesting buildup. And then like you have the heist and like once the heist kicks off, it's like pretty incredible, but it's just like, it takes way too long to get up there. And there's way too many moving parts in the movie because not only do you have like each of the widows and their backstories, you have this like political race that's going on in Chicago. And like Colin Farrell comes from this family of people who have been like, I don't know if it's, like, mayor or governor or whatever that he's running for. Um, and then you have, like, this other dude who is, like, trying to... He's kind of, like, the the inner city guy who doesn't really know anything about politics, but he's, like, running for office. And so, like, they're in a fight against each other, and they're both tangled up with the widows, and, like, they're kind of in with the... They, they relate to the heist a little bit, and there's just, like... There's, like, a few too many moving parts, and the movie doesn't quite move fast enough, so... I'm not sure that I wouldn't recommend it, but I don't know. Like, I'm kind of disappointed because it had, like, a really high score on Rotten Tomatoes, and everybody was talking about how amazing it was, and I kind of left the theater being like, ugh, like, that was kind of a little bit slow and disappointing. But, I mean, I guess you win some, you lose some at the theater. This kind of reminds me of Ocean's... Eight? What was what was the new one? The the one with the, the all chicks? What was the? Uh... Yes, it was Ocean's Eight. 
So like, I okay, I haven't seen Widows, and I was thinking about seeing it, but then I had heard other people basically say the exact same thing that you said, where it's like, oh my god, the star power was crazy, it's a woman-forward film, we're down, 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 and then we saw it, and it was like really boring and slow, and it kind of didn't really take <laughs> off. And it kind of reminds me of the same thing with Ocean's 8, because we went to go see Ocean's 8 in the theater. We were like, yeah, girl power, cool, get it, girl, get those, get the heist, you know, do the cool thing, show them that you can do it just as much as the men can do it, we're down. And that was a fucking boring-ass movie. It was so boring. And it's like, I wonder if people are giving these movies a pass because they've got so much female star power, which is awesome. 100% down for that. I am super down for that. But they still got to be good movies, you know, like it's still got like it's still got to be entertaining. I can't just show up just because women show up. I mean, I support that, but like it's still got to be a good movie. And I wonder if this movie is kind of getting a little bit more hype than it deserves just because of, you know, the female star power in it. And it's a woman woman focused thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not going to see it because, uh, like you said, it just sounds like a real boring thing. And I just don't have time for that in my life right now. But that is a shame because, I mean, when you're talking about the people in the cast, I mean, it's like basically like just you know, like a murderer's row of great actors and people you think would do a great job. So it's uh, surprising that it, they didn't quite pull that off. But um, speaking of full frontal male nudity, interesting that you uh, oh brought that up because we were exposed to a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of naked dick the other day. Um, so my son and I were kicking it at night and we're just kind of chilling. He's getting a little bit older now and he's really interested in horror movies. And we talked about this before, I'm... right? I'm really concerned about where this story is going. You should be concerned. <laughs> I'm just sitting with my son on the couch, and then there's a bunch of dicks in front of us. Oh, That's, dude. I'm a little so concerned. much, so much naked dick. You don't even know. <laughs> so we're sitting on the couch. Uh, the wife had gone to bed because she was real tired. She's working like crazy bananas hours. So she went to bed, and we're just kicking it. He didn't want to go to bed quite yet. And uh, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just chilling. Yeah, we had a few moments, which is kind of unusual, where I d didn't have 10,000 things on my plate. He's like, oh, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, well, eh, okay, sure. It's kind of late, but yeah, let's have some father-son time. It's all good. So we're scrolling through and I was going to, I was, so my, my choice for the evening was let's watch, um, uh, give a mouse a Christmas cookie. That was my choice. I'm like, let's watch that. And he's like, what? I don't want to watch that. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, son, what would you like to watch? And so he jumps to like, you know, the horror section and I'm like, okay, of course. here we go. But they had a film, you may have heard of it. It's called uh rare exports have you heard of it i have not heard of this this is from i think it's from finland it's an import movie and it was making the rounds a couple of years ago it got it got a pretty good amount of press a couple years ago uh basically what this is is it's kind of a horror movie but it's also kind of a kids movie and it's also kind of a christmas movie sort of uh, and it's also from Finland, and like like a lot of those filmmakers out there, they have a black sense of humor. Those guys are dark over there, very sexually liberated. They're fine with, uh, you know, giving fathers uh, maternity leave. But when it comes to comedy and their view on life, some of that shit is real dark over there. Anyway, so what happens is uh, it's about this kid and his dad. They live out in the middle of fucking nowhere in Finland, like... Like their backyard is like this mountain range and they herd reindeer uh, for food and for money. That's how they keep their village going. So these dudes come in from somewhere and they start excavating in one of the mountains and they don't tell the villagers what they're up to. They say they're just looking for samples or some shit and the villagers are like, whatever, whatever, leave us alone. So what happens is I'm not going to spoil too much here, but I mean, the premise of the movie, which is not a secret, is that they excavate the original the real Santa Claus. And as you might guess from a horror film, 
uh, it's not the same dude that is jolly and wearing the red coat and, you know, bringing presents to kids. Not quite that same guy. But they, they excavate the original real Santa Claus and shit just goes south in a hurry. Uh, real, real bad. Um, Would you say that shit goes like South Pole? It goes there? mega South Pole all the way to the South Pole. It goes pretty bad. So it's interesting because this kid clicks in pretty quick to what's going on. He tries to tell people, but they don't really quite listen. But then, you know, but then the adults kind of get on board and it becomes kind of like a holy shit, we need to survive sort of thing. And this is crazy. Uh, a lot of a lot of weird stuff happens. But at one point, they. I'm, I'm trying not to give away the twist here, but like they there's there's a bunch of uh, naked, naked old Finnish men. And there's like probably like 50 of them. They are butt ass naked and they are running towards the camera. They're hanging out. They're doing whatever. And their shit is out there for everybody to see. And my, my son's like, holy shit, look at all these dicks. And I'm like, yes, holy shit, look at all these dicks. There is so much dick on the screen right now. Oh, I'd never seen so much dick in one place before. This is amazing. Uh, so, yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, I'm not going to give the context. I know it sounds really bad, but they explain it in the movie. And to be fair, it's kind of fine because the way that the movie's tone is and what's going on and also keeping in Keep in mind, it's from a foreign country where their attitudes towards nudity are clearly very different than what we have here in the very puritanical United States. Uh, I mean, it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. Like, it wasn't like run for the hills and turn off the TV and scrub the kids' eyes out with soap or anything. It was just like, oh, boy, that's sure a lot of dicks, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Okay, well, whatever. We're just going to keep rolling here. So it was fine. But, yeah, um, that is a good movie. That is a good movie. It is a very bizarre, very interesting movie. Uh, if you have a kid who's interested in horror, I think it's a really good one because it's scary, but not too scary. It's not too bloody, but it's still creepy enough to qualify as a horror movie. Also, I think it's just fucking interesting. And I think just seeing the life in Finland is fucking crazy. I could never imagine living in Finland. That is nuts. But anyway, Rare Imports liked it a lot. There's, if you want to see a lot of old Finnish dick, there is so much Finnish dick in that movie. <laughs> like more than any person can handle. Uh, it's good. It's a good movie, though. I really liked it a lot. It's, I definitely recommend it. I will, um, uh, God, probably never watch this, but that <laughs> was a story. I mean, you know how much I love looking at dicks, but I don't know if I would want to look at them in this context. It was good, though. It was good. And it was a good learning experience. We had a good discussion about it. You know, it all it all ended up in a good place. So I do recommend it. <laughs> I do recommend it. Um, you know, I did see one other movie, if you don't mind me blathering on for a little bit more here. I don't. What else did you see? We saw the house with a clock in its walls. Have you seen? Have you heard of this? I've heard the name, but I don't really know anything about it. Apparently, it's a pretty famous kids book from the seventies. I don't think I've ever read it, and I'm not sure that I ever heard of it. But apparently, it was a thing back then. Uh, it's a kids movie, and ironically, this is also kind of a kids slash horror movie. We're really trying to like find all those. And if anybody listening. If you know of a good horror movie for kids, please write in and let me know because I really want to find more of them. And it's really tough to find movies that skirt that line between being kids films and horror films. There's not very many of them. So anybody listening, please send me your recommendations. I would love to get the recommendations. Uh, but this one is about a kid whose parents die in a car accident. So he goes to live with his uncle. His uncle turns out to be a warlock. Uh, and again, this is not a spoiler. This is all like in the trailer. This is all stuff that they advertise way ahead of time. Uh, and what happens is he gets to meet his uncle, who's the warlock, played by Jack Black, who does a good job. And uh, he has a witch friend who I believe is Kate Blanchett. I may be getting the name wrong. I'm pretty sure that's what her name is, though. Uh, and they, uh, 
are they're trying to figure out in this house where they live there is an evil artifact it's an evil clock in its walls just like it says in the title they <laughs> they don't quite know what it does but they know that it's not good news and so they're trying to figure out where it is how to stop it and what's going on and so the movie kind of goes back and forth between being the kid just kind of like coming into his own because he's kind of like a nerd and kind of an outcast at school so he's kind of like you know growing up a little bit getting to know his uncle a little bit but at the same time dealing with magic a lot of uh, creepy scary things in the house but also funny totally not too scary not too creepy but there is definitely some creepy stuff because the guy who directs this i'm blanking on his name right now but he is one of the blumhouse horror directors and i think he's the guy that did the purge and a couple of other he did Hostel. Eli Roth. Eli Roth. That's his name. He did Hostel, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Eli Roth. Man. He directs this. And I was like, holy shit. He's just directing this? What the fuck? And it's actually really good. I mean, he does a good job of um, balancing the human elements and the fun kid elements. And then um, towards the end, there are definitely a few creepier elements for sure. I mean, don't don't let your kids watch this if they're super impressionable. But my kid is nine and uh, he, he does fine and he got through it. But there's definitely a few parts where I was like, ooh. Definitely, that's the that's the hostile area coming through. I can I can see some of that darkness uh, leaking in, uh, but also really good. I really liked it a lot. We uh, enjoyed that one quite a bit, and I would recommend that to any parent out there who wants something exciting, kids movie, but also a little bit of darkness, a little bit of scary to it. So very good, uh, very good film. Really liked it. Hmm, I am a big. Kate Blanchett fan, but I probably would not watch this movie. I don't know that there's going to be enough Kate Blanchett in there to satisfy you, but I think that she does a really good job. I, I thought she did a she great. She always character. does. A really yeah, good she's job. great. She's great. Definitely love her a lot. So, what else you got to banter, man? Um, I have one last thing, and this will actually end up tying into the show. So, if you're listening to the podcast, you will have already heard a little bit about this, but now you get like I don't know the bonus backstory of why I'm talking about Ooh, something. Backstory. I know this is not going to be as interesting as I think it's going it's to be. It's almost like um, we found like a little audio file somewhere in the middle of a scary hallway and we're listening to the story of what happened before we got there. Yes. And then we, you have to pause the game and listen to it and it's boring and then you <laughs> don't want to pick up any more audio logs. <laughs> um, true. So, so true. <laughs> so several weeks ago, I talked about how Patrick had um, migrated from using Apple iPhones for the past yes, yes, forever yes. over to using... Um, Android phones. So he bought like a Google Pixel 3 and that's like his new thing. Well, as it turns out, um, about three years ago, uh, give or take, um, for Patrick's birthday, I bought him an Apple Watch. So he, and I had never had one. So like I wasn't really interested in one, but I bought it for him because he like had expressed some interest and it seemed like, you know, kind of, I don't know, like a classy tech gift, you know, to give for a birthday. So I bought him an Apple Watch, and he had been using it um, <clears throat> up until he switched phones. So, um, as you might expect, uh, an Apple Watch works with Apple phones, but you cannot use it with any other type of phone. So, um, it turns out that I very, like, looking back on things, I very selfishly ended up buying myself an Apple Watch, because Patrick was like, well, I don't really need it, I can't use it anymore, so, like, you can just have it. And I was like... Okay, fine. And, like, to be frank, I, like, probably would never, ever, ever buy myself an Apple Watch because I'm not really, like, into the idea of, like, wearable tech. Like, it's, I mean, I think it's, like, maybe cool for some people out there, but it's not something that I would ever, like, really be interested in. Um, but for the past, like, month or so, I have, like, I raised his Apple Watch and I, like, paired it with my phone and I have had 
an Apple Watch for the past month, and I guess, like, I don't know, I want to, like, talk about it a little bit, um, but before I, like, discuss it, do you have, like, I don't know, questions or anything before I, like, dive in? No, I'm just bracing myself. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. Oh, God. Well, okay, so <laughs> long, long story short, so I, I wear watches every day. Like, I have a, what's called a Timex Weekender, and it's not a very fancy watch, but my favorite thing about a Timex Weekender is that... Um, it's very easy to change the strap on it. And they sort of like marketed it whenever it came out as like, oh, we offer all these different straps. So I have like the one watch face, but I have like 10 straps for it. So like, depending on whatever I wear that day, like I can just, you know, match the strap or, you know, accent with the strap or whatever. Um, so like, I, I haven't gone from not wearing a watch ever to suddenly wearing a watch. But long story short, um, I think wearable tech is kind of silly. Like I, I still, like I wear my Apple watch, but like all it basically does is just like notify me when I get stuff on my phone, which is already like in your pocket, in my pocket <laughs> or on my desk at work. So like, I think it would be a really useful thing for maybe people who like work out and stuff because it does like your heart rate monitoring and it like tracks your, like, I mean, it's a great like pedometer cause it tracks like your steps and how, how fast you're going. And like, if you go upstairs and stuff like that, like it's kind of like a Fitbit in that regard. Um, so like, it's cool for sort of like athletic stuff and working out. And it would probably be cool for people who like want to go running, but they don't want to carry their phone. Cause like, depending on the storage you get, you can actually store music on the, the watch itself. Um, because almost everything you do between the watch and the phone is just like a Bluetooth pairing. Like the watch, does almost nothing on its own. Like you pretty much have to have it paired with your phone all the time and you have to be within Bluetooth range, but there are certain things it can do on its own. Um, you know, like the music, for example. I mean, I guess that being said, they do offer like a cellular Apple Watch now, which I don't think they offered at the time because um, this is a version one of Apple Watch and I think they're on three. So like the new ones, I think you can actually like use cellular service with it and you don't need to have your phone within within range. So like that's a different thing now. Um but yeah, like, I mean, it's like kind of cool to have. I mean, I guess like looking at the watch and seeing like my text message, my text messages, if I'm like driving, like that's kind of a good thing. Like if I'm driving and I just have like my hand on the steering wheel and I like feel it like a bump and I get a text message and I can just like turn my wrist and look at it rather than like grabbing my phone and opening my phone, you know, and like taking my eyes off the road. Like that's a pretty safe thing for it. It's probably cool for athletic stuff. Um, if I were athletic, maybe I could take full advantage of that, but I'm not. Um, but I don't know. It's just like, I, I don't think, unless you're like using it for something very specific, I don't think they're worth the money because like an Apple watch is like, I don't know, like $300 or something. Like they're not cheap. You know, it's not just something you like go to target and pay a hundred bucks for and walk out with. Like, it's like a few hundred dollars. And if you want anything better than just like the standard version, then it's even more like the small standard version. And it's even more than that. And, um, the one that I have is a 42 millimeter, which at the time was the biggest size. And I think now they have a, a one that's slightly bigger, but I don't know. It's just like, I, like on one hand, I like wearing it because it kind of makes me feel like cool and businessy and like, Ooh, like that guy must have his life together. Cause he has an Apple watch or like a smartwatch or what have you. <laughs> but oh, on dear. the other hand, I just feel like kind of like a douche when I wear it. <laughs> like, I feel like like we how we talked about like the Apple like the wireless like earpods a few weeks ago like I kind of feel like that where it's like oh look at this guy over here like what a fucking douche like with his Apple Watch and he like 
turns up his wrist and then it lights up and you can see what time it is like oh look at this guy <laughs> so like i mean i feel like i mean i will continue to wear it because i have it and of course like it's kind of a cool thing to have but like uh, i mean i don't want to be like the end-all be-all of someone's discussion if they like have been dying to have an apple watch and then suddenly you know they want to hear somebody else's opinion because i'm sure they've already looked but like I don't know. Smartwatches are just kind of silly. Like, I don't really know what they're for or what they can do, you know, because my phone is already on me all the time anyway. So, like, putting my hand in my pocket and pulling my phone out to read a text message is, like, not – it's, like, not hard. And now it's, like, oh, well, I just, like, tilt my wrist up and I can read my text message, which is, like – I mean, I don't know. Like, is, is reaching my hand in my pocket so difficult that I need to pay $300 to, like – tilt my wrist up to read a text message or like read a tweet or something. It's just like, it's just kind of silly and it makes me feel pretentious, but that's also like not going to stop me from wearing it. I don't think <laughs> you've joined the 1%, my friend. Welcome aboard. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't have any wearable tech like that. I mean, and I know some people who have the Apple watches and most of them, you know, not, Totally not like making a comment against you, but most of them are douchebags who have too much money to spend, <laughs> and it's just they they want to make a statement. It's visible consumption. They have big houses, they have fancy cars, they have the trophy wife with the fake tits, and they have these watches because they are tech bros or they are, you know, I don't know, just tech people who want to show off that they're working someplace that's like future based and they're forward facing and they're doing all these cool things. But it's like you said. We've all got phones in our fucking pockets. Like, don't tell me that you don't. And it's like, I mean, you know, okay, sure. I get your thing. I'm running around a track and I don't have a phone bouncing in my pocket. Okay. But like, can't you just check your phone when you stop running? Cause you're, what are you going to do? You're going to stop running in the middle of your laps to read your thing. Like, like what is like, it seems like such a, a an edge case for anything other than, Hey, look at me. I'm spending a bunch of money. And in my area, there's a lot of people to whom money means very little because I'm surrounded by people who are way too wealthy. I am not one of them, but I am surrounded by them. And I see this shit all the time. And it's just like, I can easily pull my phone out of my pocket. It's totally not a big deal. And it's very, very rare when I would be wanting to read a text message and I'm not able to pull out my phone. Almost never happens. And I think it's just about <laughs> looking cool and being cool. And, you know, the people who wear the Apple Watch also have those fucking hyper conspicuous uh, wireless earbuds in their ears all the fucking time. Never take them out. I think they wake up in the morning with them, take a shower with them, whatever have sex with them in like they never take them out <laughs> so i mean whatever if that's your jam and not not you but i mean you know people in general if you want to oh, i know what you mean you know you want to be like that and you want to show your money off i mean that's fine but uh, you know feel free you know to do that but i will judge you like pretty hard from when i, when I see you walking by <laughs> so don't act like don't act like it's no big deal because i think it's just conspicuous consumption honestly i just i just don't see a real use case when we all have in our pockets some of the most powerful devices ever created by man. I mean, we've got the entire accumulated knowledge of human history in our pocket. We can watch cat videos at any time. We can call anybody we want to. <laughs> we can make short films if we feel like it. We can do anything with these things in our pockets. So, like, putting that on our wrist, not much more of a leap, and it just is kind of douchebaggery to me. But whatevs, if that's, if that's someone's jam, then by all means, help yourself. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it helps that I'm the most like self-aware person on the planet, perhaps. So I feel silly wearing it, but I mean, it's there and it was like $300 or so. I can't remember how much I paid for it, but I think I bought it on like a some kind of sale at Target, but it was still expensive. And 
I don't know, like it would just be like sitting on a nightstand not being used otherwise. So I'm like, oh, why not? I will wear it, I guess. Um, at the very least to, I don't know, check my text messages and Twitter <laughs> DMs and see how many steps I take. Every you get day. a real sore wrist and you can't get that phone out of your pocket. You can just flick, you know, flick your arm up and see it. And you can check it out. I mean, and if you've got it, fine, that's fine. I mean, you know, don't let it go to, it would be dumb to not use it because you've already spent the money, but yeah. Let us know how it goes. Let us know uh, if you decide to, I don't know, get, go further into the, the Apple uh, ecosystem. You get like the, the vest or something that plays music or you get the shoes that <laughs> the that upload M- MP3s or something. Who knows? I don't know. Let me know. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will keep everybody posted, of course. All right. Excellent. Excellent. We will check back. Um, that's all the banter I have for today. You got anything else on your plate, man? I am drained of any and all banter at this point. All right. Cool. That sounds good. Let us grab a glass of water and take a break and we will be back with the show and uh let's talk about some games yes let's talk about some games (laughs) 